well, you're toxic. We're all toxic, apparently. <laughs> so we had to go through this. We had to look. We had to ask this question today on this podcast. Um, what exactly do they mean when they talk about toxic masculinity? And why is there no discussion about toxic femininity? Well, we did two things for you here today that if you stick with us are going to be incredibly valuable, I believe. One is, is that we're going to actually provide some of the definitions for these words. Plus, we brought in a young woman, right? Not, 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 uh, not just Christian and I going back and forth on this. Right, you've heard from Queen of the Bees. We brought in somebody else to be able to provide young men with their insight on not only toxic masculinity, she's gonna talk about toxic femininity. And we're going to have a robust conversation on what these terms actually mean. And we may come to a conclusion at the end that society has lost its mind. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument Powered by Good Ranchers. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already, go down to the link in the description and join our community chat. We've been having some great discussions there on all kinds of topics, including episodes that we've done in the past. We'd love to meet you there. All right. As always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates and someone that has been accused on occasion of being a toxic male. Primarily by doing things that dudes just do. But hey, we're going to go into more detail. With us today, not the queen of the bees, but the princess of the bees. <laughs> my my lovely daughter, Liliana. Hi, Lily. Hi. All right. You're going to be giving some opinions. That you're, you're basically here to like combat Christian's doomerness. Yes, pretty okay. much. Yeah. All right. Good deal. All right. <laughs> and then, of course, we have our political prognosticator, resident historian, and mostly benevolent warlord in training, Christian I, Hines. I feel like one of those African warlords that every time they're introduced in public, they add another title to the name, and you're the one that keeps adding the titles to it. We, we've got to shorten the We'll, we'll break it down. The I, intro. I really like, we'll let the, we will let the audience vote, but I like mostly benevolent warlord. I, I think that's, I think that kind of sums up where, what Christian wants to do with his life. I haven't gone to the gym enough times yet for that. But he, but, but you've been sticking with it. I so have, yeah. you have, yeah, I can right. test. And then of course we have our producer of producers, the man that makes the trains run on time, but not in a bad way. Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Thank you, Nick. We had a great time this past weekend, didn't we? We did. We went to, for, so for those of you who don't know, right before we jump into this, we got to talk a little bit. About, we went to the Homesteaders of America convention here in Virginia and uh, we had a blast. We were there for a couple days, got to hang out with uh, people like John Lovell, Matt Boudreau, uh, the Salatins, Joe Winger. Met um, all kinds of people. It was cool. It was, we had a ton of people stop by, stop by the tent. We actually, it was the first, it was the first time we ever actually had some merch. For those of it you was. who've been wondering when we were going to actually do some coffee mugs, some other stuff. In fact, like this, this t-shirt here specifically, uh, we do have that. It's going to be available online here shortly. We're, yep. we're, we're going some, we're going through some final things to make sure that when we do actually put this out there, there's no issues with ordering and people get what they want, everything else. But, um, we, we had a great time. We did. We had a great time. Okay. So let's jump right into this. I'm going to read off because right off the bat, and this comes from verywellmind.com. So I'm going to read off what, what they have down here is toxic masculinity. And then before we get too far into it, I want to, I want to look at the comparison between way this, this website refers to toxic masculinity versus feminine masculinity, or excuse me, feminine, toxic <laughs> femininity, whatever. Toxic masculinity refers to the notion that some people's idea of manliness perpetuates domination, homophobia, and aggression. 
Toxic masculinity involves cultural pressures for men to behave in a certain way, and it's likely this affects all boys and men in some fashion. This idea that men need to act tough and avoid showing all emotions can be harmful to their mental health and can have serious consequences for society, which is how it became known as toxic masculinity. So what is toxic masculinity? Well, here we go. There are many definitions that appear in research as well as pop culture. Some researchers have come to, some researchers have come to agree that toxic masculinity has three core components, all right? So here we go. Number 1 is toughness. This is the notion that men should be physically strong, emotionally callous, and behaviorally aggressive, right? So if you display any of those characteristics, you you have you've decided one symptom of toxicity. Anti-femininity this involves the idea that men should reject anything that is considered to be feminine, such as showing emotion or accepting help. Three, power. This is the assumption that men must work toward obtaining power and status, social and financial, so they can gain the respect of others, right? So there you go. There's toxic masculinity according to verywellmind.com. Let's look at what toxic femininity is. Toxic femininity is a broad term that refers to a rigid and repressive definition of womanhood, including pressures women face to restrict themselves to stereotypically feminine traits and characteristics. Examples of traits that are traditionally associated with femininity include empathy, sensitivity, gentleness, and gracefulness. God forbid you display any of those. <laughs> Toxic femininity refers to the adherence to the gender binary in order to receive conditional value in patriarchal societies. It is a concept that restricts women to being cooperative, passive, sexually submissive, gentle, and deriving their value from physical beauty while being pleasing to men. So here's the thing that I, I think just popped right out at me. And we're, and we're going to go to, we're going to go to kind of breaking this out a little bit more, but isn't it amazing how toxic mis masculinity is all the problems with you as a man and these various traits associated with toughness, what they call anti-femininity, and with power. But toxic femininity has nothing to do with feminine traits perhaps having a, a negative manifestation or outworking. No, 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 no. Toxic femininity is once again just pressure put on women. Right? You, did you notice the difference in those definitions? So so let's, let's talk about something. Let, let, let's break this down. In, in a way that I think is intellectually honest and, and hopefully somewhat consistent. Let's first talk about what are masculine traits. So I would say that the toughness in the form of, of physical and emotional toughness, we might, we might associate these things with uh, stoicism. We might um, also add on to that the, the belief that men think that they should be uh, physically capable of defending themselves and others. They, they should be, you know, they should be able to fight, right? Would, would everybody agree that that's generally considered a masculine trait? Yes. Yeah, All right. Absolutely. Hamilton says yes. Christian? Oh, I'm just stunned that we're now admitting that gender is actually a binary. Oh, my, well, no, no. Remember, because <laughs> toxic femininity says you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to no, say no, that. But, what I mean know. by that is, is that like, I find it so fascinating that the same people who say gender is a social construct will then construct those type of definitions. Yes. Yeah. That, that operate within within a, a again a binary system, right? And I think that really just goes to show, you know, I wrote something on Twitter about this the other day. Sorry, X the other day. Um, <laughs> that that it it doesn't work to just call out the hypocrisy of the left. Yeah, like 
how to be a GOP politician who's not Nick in, in three easy steps. Step one, the left does something outrageous that seemingly contradicts their own supposed, you know, yeah. uh, you know, principles. Step two, Republican politicians react with, wow, imagine if the roles were reversed. Step three, they do absolutely nothing and wait for the cycle to repeat. <laughs> like, and, and the reason I bring that up is because it's so easy to look at this and be like, well, this is really hypocritical. The same people who are trying to argue that gender is is a so social construct and that it's not a binary are the same people who, again, constructed the definition that you just read off to yeah. us. And I think that before we can actually tackle this problem, we kind of need to address, yeah, it is hypocritical. And yeah, pointing out that it is hypocritical, unfortunately, isn't going to solve anything. Yeah. The only way that you're going to solve things, I mean, and we've talked about this before on on, on this show, like, we need to be focusing on power, not on hypocrisy, because it's it's through all of the mechanisms, both in and out of government, that the left has achieved power and, and cultural relevancy that they're able to push these kind of ridiculous, well, hypocritical notions on people. With that set aside, to, to address your, your point, I do think that it's really funny that once again, in the left's own mind, mindset, women have absolutely no agency of their own. No, no. Oh yeah, don't you know? Like all women are just perfect. We have no wrongs. <laughs> well, well you know, you know, they don't have wrongs. They have problems, and they're called exactly. men. And we're we're to blame for everything. <laughs> well, look, I, I would just say so. Okay, Lily. Yes. All right, twenty year old female. When when you think of toughness in a man, what do you think of a positive manifestation of toughness? Well, one of the one of the greatest examples I've ever heard like when someone was discussing this topic was um, someone giving the example of women will talk about toxic masculinity and like, Oh, uh, you're just aggressive and da, da da da. But it's like, if I'm walking down the street and somebody is trying to rob me, I yeah. Expect my fiance to exude toughness yeah. and beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I expect. <laughs> and it's a like, I find it attractive. Now, of course you can take that too far and that's how we have, criminals and stuff like that. But I feel like that can go on both sides. It's not specific to men. Well, and this is, this is what's interesting. When they look at toughness, this is a notion that men should be physically strong, emotionally callous and behaviorally aggressive. Again, who came up with this, right? Like who is the one that decided that this is what toughness represents? Because it wasn't me. I didn't come up with it. My father didn't come up with it. My grandfather didn't come up with it. I'm sure some people do this. So, so for instance, men should be physically strong. Yes, they should be, right? I'm sorry, men should be physically strong. Now, does that mean all men are going to be physically strong to the same degree and capability? No, of course not. Nobody's saying that. But but what's the alternative? Should men be physically weak? Would that be better? Yes, that is that is what the... Wait, remember when we did our episode on, on the left's vision for masculinity? And it's basically just being effeminate. Yeah, that 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 was that was yeah. effectively well, their their vision. So I, I I think I think we can I, I guess my point is is that once again we have them making a very very broad definition, and whenever we call them out on it, they essentially they try to narrow the definition to something that nobody disagrees with, right? Nobody. I don't know a single man. I genuinely don't. I don't know a single man that honestly believes that men should be, according to this, emotionally callous. I knew I know a lot of men. Most of us who think that men should have their emotions under control, right? And that they should not, they certainly shouldn't be ruled by their emotions. And that, and, and this is the part where I, I, I want to kind of, for, for anybody that's watching this, that that's a man, obviously we're talking about this because we, we actually had somebody in our community who was a young man that said, Hey, can you guys talk about this topic? 
15 year old. Yeah. 15 year old man. He was like, I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to navigate this new world where all of a sudden the, these traits that I, I thought were, you know, important to being a man are now all of a sudden a bad thing. You know, can you guys talk about this? You just heard it for everybody at the table to include a young woman that no toughness is not a negative. It's not a manifestation of toxic masculinity. It's a question of how does it, how does it manifest itself in a given situation? If, if physical toughness means you have the ability to protect yourself and protect the people you care about, that is a positive manifestation. It is a manifestation of, of masculinity, which is not only necessary and important and appropriate, but attractive to women. And, and I'll, and I'll, I'll share this story. I've done this before where I was talking to, I was, I was up in an event in, in Washington, DC, um, had a woman that said, Hey, she, she was engaged. She was about to get married. And I said, Oh, that's great. Marriage is wonderful. And we started to talking about, you know, marriage and our, and our views of marriage. And she was asking me questions. Could I, cause I had been married. And as I'm explaining kind of like the roles I saw as a, as a husband, as a father, her statement to me was, well, we don't, we don't believe in those traditional gender roles. And so the question I asked back was, okay, great. So if you and your fiance are leaving from a nice dinner in Washington, D.C., and you're walking back to your car and somebody jumps out of the alleyway with a knife, right? And in one scenario, your fiance jumps in between you and your attacker. And in the other scenario, he hides behind you. In what scenario are you more attracted to your, your fiance? You said, well, well, it, well, that's not fair. No, it's, it's, it's a perfectly reasonable question, especially because with the way DC is managed, that could very likely happen. And, and then I had a lot of other people trashing me going, well, I, I would feel, I would feel good if my, my girlfriend or my, my wife decided to, you know, she wanted to protect me. I, I would feel, okay. But whose responsibility do you think it actually really rests with? Mm -hmm. Whose responsibility do you think it actually rests with? Well, and I would think that would be, I would consider it a big red flag if I was in that situation and even if I did try to step in and do something like, no, he needs to take, he needs to take over. Yeah. Even if I'm trying to do something, pull me away. And because if he didn't, if he just stood behind me while I was trying to do something, I would leave him. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> You're not, like, what, what is that? So what does that signify? Cause the world is telling, this is what's important, right? The world is telling this, this, 15 year old young man who's asking us to talk about this. Mm -hmm. The world is telling him and he thinks a, a large sector of the female polish uh, population is telling him, we don't want you to be like this. And your, your response is very different. Yes. I feel like, because it's talked about a lot, how it's a lot, it's, it's a lot harder nowadays to find a woman or to find a man who fits these, what people say, gender roles or yeah. just whatever to follow a, um, a happy home lifestyle and stuff like that. And um, although I do agree, I do feel like if somebody comes up to you and tells you that, oh, I don't believe in gender roles and I feel like I need to protect the family and you need to be more in touch with me, and you, that's a red flag, don't date them. <laughs> I, <laughs> if my fiance came up to me while we were dating, uh -huh. And was like, oh, I expect you to be just as in charge. I feel like it should be all 50-50 and uh, we don't, we shouldn't follow those gender roles. Great. Do it with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
So, so that's, that's the, that's the first one. So toughness obviously has, and, and this is going to be a common theme throughout this. We're going to actually talk about what we uh, agree on our masculine and feminine traits, and then distinguish between this, these common, these broadly used terms, which are just toxic, this and toxic that, as opposed to no, there's positive manifestations, there's negative manifestations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this is one, one of the most obvious parts about the toughness thing that I want to point out is they've done recent polling on this among liberal women right? Left-wing women complaining in places like New York City and whatnot where they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to admit that most most of the men that I date are, are actually politically conservative. Remember the, uh, what was it? It was, a, it was a TikTok of this liberal woman yes. in the car and she was like, are there any like traditional men out there on the left? Yeah. Because she was upset that like all of the traditional men that she was, that she was interested in were all conservatives. And yeah. it, it I've, I've got news for you, lady. I'm really <laughs> sorry, but no, there's not any, it, 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 the, the, the type of man that she was looking for does not exist on the left. And, and by design, because the left has in the left has constructed itself around, let's be honest, attacking traditional norms of masculinity Yes, and, and painting men as oppressive villains essentially that, that are the reason that everything is going wrong with society. And so when you've constructed a entire political coalition effectively centered around two things, attacking people for their race and attacking people for their gender while simultaneously arguing that gender is a social construct that doesn't even exist. Don't be surprised when the men that exhibit those traditional forms of masculinity that this woman is is looking for in a partner don't show up on the left because yeah. the left has basically said men need not apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said, you said you don't want them to do these things. And then when they stop doing them, you wonder why they stopped. Like, are you serious? <laughs> they, this is, this is one of the areas. This is, this is another area too, that I hope, I hope hearing it from a man, I hope this is something that women understand is that the the best men I have ever known or I have ever met are in large part that way because of the women in their lives. Mm-hmm. That the women played a, a, an, a just a crucial role in actually drawing out the positive manifestations of, of masculine traits. Some of the worst men I know are, are also... In, in some part, and again, I'm, I'm not taking away responsibility from the man in their own actions. He, he has complete agency over his own self and what he does. But there's also been a, a woman in, in their life that have drawn out the worst parts of that, those masculine traits. Now, again, let me repeat this again in case it wasn't clear enough. I'm not blaming the woman for what a man chooses to do. The man still has to assume responsibility for his actions. What I'm saying is, is that women have an, impo- an incredibly powerful role mm-hmm. in the shaping of men. And, and it's amazing how one minute it seems like modern f- feminism wants to one minute say that's absolutely right because we're powerful and we're strong and the whole deal. But then the moment it manifests itself in a negative attribute, it's like, well, that's all the man's fault. Like, well, which is it? Mm-hmm. Which is it? Are we working together within society and, and, and there's, there's sociological implications for how we interact and, and conduct ourselves with one another? Or is it, I want to take, I want to take credit for the good stuff, but I don't want any responsibility for the bad. Mm-hmm. How would a mother do that, Nick? How would a mother yeah, oh, draw well, out the positive roles of masculinity? So we, we've, we've talked to, we've talked a little bit about this before. Like, again, I was, you know, I had both my mom and my dad in my life, but my mom and dad split when I was three, lived with my dad during the summers, lived with my mom during the school year. And so my, my mom, you know, you know, a lot of the things that you kind of engage with growing up as a young man in school environments, you know, like, look, I got in fights, I got into trouble, I did other things. So my mom had to play that role where 
I, I wasn't just going to come home and my dad was going to be waiting for me there to, you know, do the things that dads usually do in that particular environment. She had to cover down on some of this stuff. My dad was still supportive of it. Um, but she had to cover down on a lot of it. And one of the things I, I, you know, I, I offer up not as advice, but more of like encouragement is that I think my mom did an excellent job in this respect. Um, because she expected me, like she, it's what I call calling out the protector and the provider in your son. Because there's, there's a lot of things that a father is supposed to do when raising a young man, um, in order to teach them what it is to be a good man. And a lot of the ways that father does that is by example with the way he treats his son, his daughters, his wife, right? He, he's, he's teaching his son in that moment, um, how to properly and respectfully behave as a husband, how to, you know, effectively and responsibly behave as a father. And so there, there's a lot of that, um, observation, observation of his traits and, and actions. But the mother is the first time, and this, this always gets feminist mad and I don't care. Um, the mother is the first person that a, a little boy actually gets an opportunity to protect. Right. And it's not because the mom needs, you know, her seven year old little boy or a nine year old little boy to protect her. Right. Obviously she's, she's more physically capable than, than he is at that moment, but understand that that relationship, that bond that is built between a mother and a son very early on where, where the mother represents, um, I, I mean, so much of, of how that little boy interprets the world and his place in it and, and her as, as a, as a, uh, as someone that, represented protection for him when he was little. And now as he starts to get a little older, men start to seek out, not just protection. They start to seek out it. They want to feel capable. They want to feel strong. Right. Um, and when that, when that mother starts asking their son to help them with things, Hey, can you lift this heavy thing for mommy? Hey, can you carry this over here? Hey, can you loosen this? Can you do this? It's not necessarily, it's not demonstrating that the woman is weak. What it is is she's calling out the protector and provider and her son. And, and it actually helps build a whole new level of relationship with the mother because now the son is, is, is essentially getting to, I don't like to use the word practice, but is, is getting to experience what it is to protect someone that he cares about and he loves. And that is a, that is a very, very positive thing for a, a, a young boy to experience. And as they get older, the responsibilities associated with that increase. So when, when I was nine, my mom didn't ask me to go, like if something went bump in the night, my mom didn't ask me to go, go outside and check. When I was 16, she did. Mm-hmm. When I was 16, she'd be like, can you check the window here? The door's locked. And what it was is it was letting me know that it wasn't just telling me that I had a responsibility to do that. It was creating an expectation, but then it was also creating appreciation for when I did it. I, I, she was teaching me in a way that my, my father could have directed me to do it. My mother was doing it as a way of demonstrating that I was protecting her by doing it. That's not something the father can do. So it, it is an incredibly important role and it's an, an incredibly, and, and when you see a mother like embrace it, not as a, oh, I'm being the weak little damsel in distress. No, I'm calling out in my son something that it's necessary for him to have. Man, that's powerful. It's just incredibly powerful. Um, and it does help foster, again, I think there, and I, I don't want to speak for moms, but this is something that speaking to, you know, um, <laughs> I'm looking at Lily. So speaking to mommy about speaking to <laughs> yeah. Tina about, um, and speaking to my own mother about like, um, you know, there's a certain point where moms have this really close relationship with their, with their boys when they're really little. 
right? You, you always see this. It's the little girls with their daddy mm-hmm. and it's the little boys with their mommy, right? There, there's that, there's that relationship that's really important. And there's, there's a point where boys where a lot of the things that moms do when they're little that make them feel love and make them feel safe um, later on kind of make them can almost make them feel weak or vulnerable. And the toxic masculinity crew says, oh, well, that's just you're, you're training your son to be toxic. They learn it all by themselves when they go into an environment where all of a sudden, you know, mommy kisses them on the cheek in front of their friends and they get mocked and they get laughed at and they feel uncomfortable. Now, we can all say it's not appropriate for them to laugh or mock, but it happens. So, so what's the proper response in that moment? I will tell you this much. It is not to tell a, a boy that operates in an environment where physical violence is a thing, whether we like it or not. It's not to tell, well, you should just be comfortable with your, your feelings and your emotions. No, it's to make them feel strong and comfortable. So where when, when my mother demonstrated affection to me in front of my friends, I would give my mom a, a, a hug right back. I didn't care because I love my mom and I'm going to protect my mom. And in fact, you giving my mom a bad time or you giving me a bad time because my mom and I have a close relationship my attitude is not to go to my other friends and be like, you're just not in touch with your emotions. Like that wasn't it. It was, no, I love my mom. My mom's awesome. And I protect my mom, right? It was that defensive nature, which didn't make me feel weak. It made me feel protective. That's just emotional maturity. Yes. Like there's a difference between the definition that pop culture and Hollywood has about uh, toxic masculinity and all this stuff. And just, and being in touch with your emotions and just crying everything out. It's like, no, I do agree. Like it's okay to cry in situations, but there's a difference between being dramatic and having emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, you are in touch with your emotions. You're not lashing out over every little thing, but you're mature enough in that to be able to have the confidence to be like, why are you, who cares? I'm going to hug my mom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's important though. And, and Nick hinted at this, but I, I really want to tease this out because this also gets into one of the other topics and please don't get mad at me, Nick. We might be jumping around just a little bit, but it gets into the <laughs> stoicism aspect of yeah. it because um, Nick, you brought this up and, and Lily, you also just hinted at this, you know, the whole it's, it's okay to be in touch with your emotions. Well, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it is important to not be ruled by your emotions yeah. as a man, certainly as a man, mm-hmm. because some of the most self-destructive and not even self-destructive, just destructive behaviors ever from, from men come about when they're ruled by their emotions. Think about all the instances of like spousal abuse or think of all the instances of men that, that just implode when it comes to things like drugs or pornography or alcohol or, or any sort of like self-destructive behavior. Think about all the murders that exist or all the rapes that exist or the serial killers out there. Like somebody once said that the reason that there is no female Albert Einstein is the same reason that there is no female Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And in part, it's, it's because nature you can certainly also argue that there's a divine aspect of this as well, but it's in part because nature doesn't take as many chances on women and in large part because eggs are a lot more expensive than sperm. And so taking a lot of chances could actually lead to some catastrophic results, but, but nature can take a lot more chances with men and that leads to good and bad outcomes. This is again, why you see overwhelming majority of like Nobel prizes and scientific advancements and stuff like that come from men. It's also why you see the vast majority of, of the lowest aspects of society that let's be honest, the scum of the earth type of people, the murderers, the rapists, the criminally inclined, those are also men. 
And it's not because society has has simply, you know, constructed power structures that enable men to rise the, to the top. No, it's because men end up on the higher end of that bell curve on the IQ distribution, but they also end up on the lower end of that curve as well. And if you want to to see more of that, the positive aspects of masculinity be, um, you know, reveal themselves rather than those negative self-destructive or just otherwise destructive aspects, you need to make sure that you don't let those, those emotions take control of you. Because when men allow for emotions to direct their actions, it usually leads to catastrophe. Well, I think that's, I think that's one of the aspects of the, the physical component. Right, this idea that men should be physically tough and physically strong. Why is why is there a greater emphasis on men being able to use physical prowess in order to achieve end states than women? It's because biologically, you know, on the whole, the average man is orders of magnitude stronger than the average woman. And so therefore the consequences of being ruled uh, by emotions within that are 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 potentially more catastrophic. Now, again, you can come up with all kinds of scenarios where it's, it's you know, just as catastrophic or just as bad for, for women. That's not the point. It's just about understanding that there are physical differences and therefore the negative manifestations can, can represent significant more, significantly more damage. And, and, I, and I would say this too, um, because men are generally responsible for things like, again, generally responsible for things like law enforcement, fighting wars and whatnot, right? The preponderance of these things take place and are fought by men. There, there is a, there is a necessity to be able to compartmentalize, um, that is very, very important for that particular occupation. If you couldn't compartmentalize what you had to do in war, or if you couldn't compartmentalize what you have to do as a police officer on a daily basis, it would make it incredibly difficult to be able to come home and, and live the sort of life. When we say leave it at work. Right. You hear that a lot of time. Leave, leave it, mm-hmm. leave it on the battlefield, leave it in the streets, whatever it is, leave, leave it there. Okay. That requires compartmentalization, which means that there's a lot of work that men to do to disconnect feelings from a particular situation so that we can look at it as objectively as possible in that moment. And, and people come back later and say, well, yeah, but that, that disconnection, that compartmentalization has actually led to, you know, you know, problems when they come home and not being able to emotionally deal with the situation. Again, there, there's plenty of room for maturity and refining that and see what, but I'm telling you right now that if you want them to be totally in tune with all of their emotions, as you're kicking in a door to go fight somebody or to go get a terrorist, or as you're, as you're trying to grab your buddy out and pull him out of a situation I'm sorry, you're going to fall apart and you're not going to be able to actually accomplish your mission. The end result being is that more emotional damage will be done in your inability to control them in the high threat situation. And so respecting the compartmentalization that is necessary for men to be able to serve that function means that on the other side of it, there there may be negative, there may be negative um, outworkings, but the solution is not to say, oh, well, just don't compartmentalize anymore. Or, or, oh, no, 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 just, just, don't, just don't be stoic. Just be more in touch with your feelings. Okay, well, that's not going to get the job done. In fact, it could lead to an, an even worse outcome, which is going to lead to an even worse outcome later on the line when it comes to dealing with the emotional components of it. Let's, um, let's look at um, one other thing here. Okay, what was it? Um, when they talk about uh, power, this assumption that men must work toward obtaining power and status, social and financial, so that they can gain the respect of others. 
Here's another thing that I uh, and I I seriously don't understand because when even when you talk to and, and there's there's a lot of men that will watch whatever podcast Fresh and Fit podcast and what they see is a bunch of women stepping forward saying men's got to be six foot tall he's got to make six figures he's got to be financially successful he's got to be confident he's got all these other things but then we're told and they they can't judge me for my past you know experiences yeah. or decisions that's what they say yeah and they, and they <laughs> tell and they tell men that they're you know again at the same time they're telling men that this is a negative attribute, they're also saying that if you don't possess this attribute to the degree that we like it, you're unacceptable as a, as a potential boyfriend or husband. You know what they say, Nick, right? What? Women are human beings. Men are human doings. <laughs> I and, did, I've never heard that before. And and here, here's, here's what that phrase means. It means that it, it's going to sound somewhat depressing, but I'll be honest, it's totally true. Women inherently have Value might not be a better, the, the, the best term to use, but it's the best one that I can come up with on the fly. Women inherently have a higher degree of value than men. Remember when I said earlier, eggs are more valuable than sperm. Yeah. It's the same reason that nature doesn't take as many chances on women. They usually end up in the middle of that bell curve and, and there's fewer sociopathical, you know, maniacal women, just like there's fewer, you know, brilliant geniuses that just, you know, revolutionize everything. And Women, in, women don't have to do much in order to to obtain a, a certain level of of worth and respect in the eyes of the majority of society. You say that the value is more intrinsic. The value is more intrinsic in just being a woman. A man has to do something in order to be recognized, just outright. I mean, th there's a lot to hate on him for, but Andrew Tate is totally right when he says, for example, that that men are invisible until they do something until they achieve something. And he's not the only one that says that it, it, it again, the, the, the phrase doesn't come from him, for example, like, like it's, it's a very common phrase that, that people in like the manosphere or whatever use. And, and the reason why they use it is because there's some truth. Men are invisible. And I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, men are invisible until they achieve something in their life. I can, I can give you a firsthand take on that. Like, there are women that I went to college or high school with that didn't necessarily give me the time of day until I ended up here. And I, I had no idea that me being on your show all the time would make some people pay attention to me, but, but it, it has. Um, and, and it, it's incredible that I I'm starting to see it in my own life now that, you know, I, I spent my, my twenties, you know, just plugging away at politics, but not necessarily achieving a whole lot to be completely honest. And I'm starting to understand why that phrase makes sense because for a man, it's almost like you start with nothing, no name, no achievements, no money, um, unless you're born into those things. Right. But, but if you're not, you have to make something of yourself. A woman doesn't have to make anything of herself. Men are not attracted to women because of their career accomplishments. Men are intrinsically attracted to women for their beauty and their ability to be a great mother. And women don't have to go into the workplace and start a company or start a business and make a lot of money or build a career, have a long resume. Men don't care about like, this is something that I think a lot of women don't understand. Some women do. I think Lily gets it, but like men don't care about your resume. But everybody cares about a man's resume. And so that, that, that's, that's why I said, and it's not a phrase that I came up with, but yeah. that, that's where the phrase comes from, that, that women are human beings and men are human doings. Well, and I, and I, think, I think, look, when, when we talk about what are, the, what, are, 
what is one of the ways that men actually demonstrate power in order to attract a woman? And, and one of the best ways is to provide. And one of the best possible ways you can provide is calling good ranchers. <laughs> that's right. You're all wondering how I was going to work this into it. That's, that's right. Because I will tell you what, if you're, if you're the sort of man that wants to, wants to marry a strong intelligent woman. Well, she's going to expect you to be able to put food on the table, right? You are to be the great hunter. And now Good Ranchers has made your hunting easier than ever. That's right. With promo code Nick, you can go onto their website and you will get the finest beef, pork, poultry, and even wild caught seafood. Guys, you don't got to tell her that you got it from Good Ranchers. You can just say, oh, it's wild caught. Did you catch this? Kind of. <laughs> right? Right? And they will deliver it to your door, to your door, proving Proving to that wonderful woman that you want to marry, that you want to be the protector and provider for, that you can, in fact, provide the best in the very meats that are going to build your family into the strong unit it needs to be in order to save this country. And now, using promo code Nick, you can get $25 off your order. I'm laughing at my own thing. $25 off your order and free shipping, not to mention the fact, right? And, and guys, this is important for you to understand, right? You can actually order a subscription. Right. So you get making to, it easy. You, you can make it easy to prove month after month because that's the other thing. She's just not looking like, did you provide one meal? Okay, good. That doesn't exactly make you the great hunter that's going to provide for the family. Right. But if you're proving consistently month after month, right, that, that, that you can, you can deliver the goods that you can literally bring home the bacon. That's right. <laughs> and you, you, my friend will become marriage material. So that's what good ranchers is doing. They're not just providing a good quality product made here, raised here, grown here, right in America. No, no, no. They're actually helping you prove that you can provide. So go ahead and use promo code Nick, get $25 off 20 and free shipping. Yep. Free shipping. Sign up for one of those subscriptions. You can turn it on, turn it off. You can modify it. It's great. Well, All and right. if you ask the delivery driver to throw it to you, you can say you caught it. Oh, see, see? look at that. Yeah, there you Loopholes. go. <laughs> Loopholes. I Loopholes. did and, catch this. And for our audio <laughs> listeners, I have left a link for you in the description that you can use. But Lily, I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on what Christian was talking about there because there was a lot unpacked. Yes, I thought it was very interesting. And although I do agree with a lot of aspects to it. I would say, um, I mean, you can't, you can see what he's talking about. Even when, if the ship's sinking, it's women and children, right? If anything happens, it's like, get the women and children out first. And so there is a certain element of value, but I would argue that value comes by the fact that we can have children mm -hmm. and that we're mothers and that, and I was even going to mention it when you were talking about your, your mom and that relationship. It's not only that you're protecting the woman in your life. It's that that woman becomes your home. Mm -hmm. We make the home. And so you're not only just, it's not just about like you're protecting this woman, you're protecting your home. Well, and you so I feel like that's kind of the value that we bring to the table that he's talking about. And I would argue that uh, when you're talking about, well, men are invisible until they make something of themselves. Yeah, maybe to the majority of the world. But if you make yourself known, if somebody, let's say it is a woman, notices Christian, right? Let's say Christian never makes a business or does the podcast ever again or whatever, but it, like he's known to her. Mm -hmm. And if they have kids, he's known to his children. And that can be just as valuable, well, even if you're not this big hot shot who. Well, here's the, here's the question, though. Here's the question is, is that. Again, the, the mixed messages. There, there was a young oh man. There was, there was um, 
he just commented. He said, I'm, I'm 15. I'm from Romania. If we can find that comment again, I yep. want to read it off. I it saw was, that because it was, it was a, it was a great comment. Um, and I kind of want, I want your, I want your take on this. Mm -hmm. So if you want to mind kind of scrolling through and finding that, but I think part of, he found it. Okay. He goes, uh, as a Romanian 15 year old boy, day by day, I get continuously angrier when I see other people, my age smoking, using drugs, being rude and saying insults. Shame does need to be reintroduced into society. Luckily I found myself some friends who are the same as me and helped me reach my goals while I also help them out on things as well. And yeah, Mario, I would say right there, first of all, you did one of the most important things you possibly could. And that is find the people that actually share your values and that are actually going to reinforce and, and help you live up to those values. Because I think, I think one of the problems that we see with young men right now is that they have one side that is telling them that they're the source of all of society's ills just by virtue of being a man. And then you have another side that's saying, well, everybody that's telling you that is garbage. And then they're actually elevating certain aspects of masculinity, which are, are being advertised as, well, this is what we mean by toxic masculinity. And no, again, being strong, being stoic, being able to engage in compartmentalization, um, you know, ha having a, a predisposition toward looking toward cold, hard facts and rationality and logic. These are all positive manifestations of masculinity, provided that they're used correctly in the way they were intended to be used. Yes, it's like anything else. Fire can heat your home. It can also burn it down. We don't say fire is toxic. All right, we, we look at the, the purpose for which the fire is being used or abused, and we can say that's a toxic or an inappropriate manifestation. But again, when they put it into these broad categories, toughness is emotionally callous. Okay, by emotionally callous, if you mean immature, then yeah, that's wrong. But if you mean callous in the, in the center, or, uh, like in, in what we talk about, like calluses on our hands, where it's like, okay, look, we, we are capable of identifying our emotions and then properly compartmentalizing in dangerous situations or in other situations so as to not be ruled or dominated by them, that's an important manifestation. So let, let me, so Lily, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. You're engaged. Yes. Right? Um, when, when, you were, when you were looking for attributes in a potential husband, um, what were some of the things that you were looking for, like right off the bat that you would consider to be obviously, you know, like for instance, honesty is just a trait. I don't mm -hmm. think it's masculine. I don't think it's feminine. I think it's just a trait, right? Yes. What were some of the masculine traits that you were looking for that you found in your fiance? I wanted someone who could protect me and yeah. he wrestled in high school. He's six, six, like he can protect me. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I wanted someone who I felt like could protect me and my children. Um, I wanted someone who seemed as though that they would be a good father. He works with kids every day. I mean, I always saw him at the church. Like the first thing I noticed about Nick before even by, by the way, him. her fiance is named Nick as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the first thing I noticed about him right out the gate wasn't his looks, although he is very attractive. <laughs> wasn't his looks or anything like that. It was that I saw him talking to the kids at the youth group and just how heartfelt he was about his faith and stuff like that. And so um, that showed to me that he would be a good father. Um, and there is there is a certain element of he did seem emotionally mature. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say like in touch with his emotions, like, but he, he was emotionally mature, which means like he wasn't going to be dramatic about everything. And he wasn't, <laughs> he, he was going to so it protect really, me emotionally as let, well. Let's roll that back because when you say he wasn't going to be dramatic about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that uh, again, 
this is, I think this has become a mixed signal to a lot of young men. It's like, I want you to be more in touch with your, your feelings and your emotions. Okay. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Does it mean I got to cry more? Does it mean I got to talk to you more? Does it mean I got to do this? And you just said, well, no, he was emotionally mature, but he wasn't dramatic. Like, okay. So what's, how do you, how do you distinguish between those two things? So I feel as though it's oftentimes interpreted as with a lot of the pop culture and like secular women, Mm -hmm. I feel like being in touch with your emotions is interpreted as you should cry more and you should just bear your soul and you should just recognize that you're a victim. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to what I define as emotional maturity is that you are protective because you love your family and you love these people and you can recognize the fact that you love them mm-hmm. and stuff like you can recognize that you're not stone when your dad dies you're not stone cold like oh well that's just how the world works and i don't care about that man anyway like i feel like that's emotionally immature mm-hmm. and that's and that's what can be toxic in a person uh, cuz that can go both ways both sides could be like that uh but when I talk about emotional maturity, I just mean is that you can recognize and that if you do really need to cry, you can in front of me mm-hmm. in our own home. I'm the person you come back to to release that mm-hmm. and to so that I can support you in that. But I don't expect you to go out and just someone pulls a gun and you just start crying hysterically and being like, no, I want you to like tackle him or pull out your gun. Like Even better. So that's what I mean by that, that you can rationally, you can have emotions, whatever, but you can still compartmentalize and you can do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So there's healthy, there's a healthy limit to that. Yeah. Well, and and I, and I, what's interesting is uh, there's a, I think it was a a old Roman saying that proximity to uh, proximity to danger breeds um, contempt for it. Right. Part of uh, this is, this is another thing where we'll sometimes get into this idea of when, when I was explaining to someone things that I try to do to prepare my son for being a man. Well, some of it is learning how to fight. Some of it is deliberately putting him into stressful situations to see how he deals with it, both emotionally, physically, intellectually, right? Does he, does he get creative and think out of the box or to fix it? And, and it's, purposefully, we, we saw this in the military when they were actually preparing us to be soldiers, they would purposefully give us tasks that there was no possible way we could complete in the time that they gave us to, to do them. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it caused stress and it caused frustration and it caused, you know, sometimes negative interaction. But because the mission still had to be completed, there was no, oh, well, I, I guess you just get to sit down and have a good cry. It was like, no, you better figure it out because you know you're going to be put into this situation again in the future. So if you don't learn how to work together, if you don't learn how to get your crap together, right, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Well, why were they doing that? Well, because life in general and specifically combat doesn't reward that inability to compartmentalize, that inability to work with others, that inability to, you know, to be able to quickly triage a situation, prioritize, and then act. And, and in, in that case, to be able to act ag- aggressively. Did you ever get it done under the time constraint? The, the way that it, this is, this is interesting, the way they do it in the military and, and they do this for, for women in the military as well, because we're, we're talking about a unique use case here. But, um, 
typically what ends up happening is, is they start off with giving you tasks. You can't possibly work. Everyone gets mad. Everyone gets frustrated. People aren't doing what they're doing. And then over time, what happens is you get more skills and you get more training. It's not necessarily they're giving you a lot more time to do the task. It's now you're more prepared for it when it comes about and you know what you're supposed to do. And people start to assume their proper roles within a particular yeah. situation, right? This is, this is one of the things that I think is so frustrating to both men and women currently when it comes to relationships is we want to have this idea that there are no roles. There are no traditional roles. Everything's 50-50. Everything's equal partnership. Everything's this. Bull crap. Bull crap. Go ahead and live your yeah. life that way if you think that's going to work. There is equal value in a relationship between a man and a woman. There's not equal jobs and roles and responsibilities and everything. That would be absurd. Nothing in any other area of your life operates that way. Nothing. When you go to work, people have different tasks based off of their roles, responsibilities, their personalities, their traits, their skill sets, their competencies. And it's the same thing within relationships between men and women. But then all of a sudden we want to pretend like, ah, oh, no, no, it does. If we, if we do that or we insist upon that or we just desire that, well, then there's something wrong with us because don't we know that in our perfect egalitarian, equitable society, that's not how we're supposed to think about things. Well, how's that working out for everybody? I have noticed that I don't run into a lot of super happy ultra feminists with respect to their dating lives, right? I've also noticed I don't run into a lot of super happy men that, that don't want to embrace the characteristics that they're supposed to have. And that women actually like when they're being, you know, again, we even saw with the women pushing this idea of no traditional gender norms. Okay. Yeah. But secretly when they're actually looking for somebody that they want to have a long-term relationship with, guess what? Mm -hmm. Oh, the polling on this, the, 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 the data on this is abundantly clear. Um, when it comes to, here's a fun fact for you. Somebody did a um, study. I think this was in 2020 that, um, gave men more testosterone. Dem these are Democrat voters gave men. I believe it was they gave men more testosterone and they gave women more estrogen. Yeah. And the results showed that when those two groups, these are all Democrats, received those those hormones, they became more inclined to vote Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for the men. And I, I, I OK, so that, that, that was just a funny story, but like. <laughs> Part of the problem with all of this is, quite frankly, it's it's an it's an attempt to deny some some physical realities. Like there's there, there there's so many things out there. Like you know there's things like the Bateman principle and stuff like that. That like women are a, a limiting resource, and and a, a limiting resource is something that that a species or a group, it's it's a restriction on that species or group's ability to just propagate and you know conquer the universe. Yeah. Right. So for example. Um, you know, the lack of wood in the Sahara desert is a limiting resource for the propagation of termites. Yeah. Right. And, and, and likewise the inhibit, you know, men can have effectively unlimited children, right. But women only have a certain number of eggs they, they can only have so many, so many kids and it takes nine months to create a kid. Yeah. It takes a lot more energy for a woman to create a kid than a man to create a kid. Right. Yeah. And what that has led to just through biology itself is an inherent imbalance where, again, I, I said the phrase before, right? That, that women are human beings and men are human doings. The, the problem is, is that, and you know, this is something that I do think that some of the, the red pill or black pill people actually get wrong on, is that they look at that and they say, oh, woe is me, you know, 
I, I was dealt a bad hand because I was born a man and nobody cares about men until they achieve something. Yeah, but that was the case for thousands of years. This isn't something recent. This is this didn't just come along with wokeism. This is inherent in biology. And so we've constructed civilizations around the fact that men can have an unlimited number of kids and women can't. We've like that that is not new. Yeah. And and so I do think that that there's a a, a growth within as as the wokes have destroyed the family structure, as let's be honest, you know, post postmodernism and cultural Marxism has has teared down some of these social institutions that have kept society going for a long time. The reaction from some men has been, you know, oh, this is, you know, a huge problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. But but some of the the things that they're pointing to are things that have been with us long before postmodernism or long before Marxism or long before wokeism. And I, I I do think that, you know, so, sometimes it, it, it requires uh, tremendous amounts of violence for us to realize some basic truths. For example, when Russia invaded Ukraine, the response was not as a man, oh, I need to contemplate how much of a victim I am in these circumstances. <laughs> I'm living in a country that's now being invaded by a nuclear power yeah. that outnumbers us, you know, three to one. It, it it was not, let me sit in my foxhole and cry about the circumstances. No, the response from Ukrainian men was, I, I need to fight the invaders that want to conquer my country. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's unjust, totally unjust. I also don't, don't think we should well, be sending hundreds of billions of yeah. dollars to Ukraine, but... You know, some nuance is allowed here. I I, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's actually terribly controversial to say the Russian invasion of Ukraine was incredibly unjust. Doesn't matter though that it was unjust, incredibly unjust, illegal, illegal under international law. Who knew that Putin didn't care about that? Like (laughs) there's so many things you can point to and say, this shouldn't have happened. Yeah, well it did. Yeah, it did happen. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And the response from men should be, I'm going to stand up and fight the invaders that want to conquer my country. And and thank God, you know, hundreds of thousands of men in that country did. I don't necessarily think that that a lot of men in the West would actually respond to the way that they did in Ukraine. Eastern Europe still I, I maybe it's in part because of, of communism and, and people having to live through this. You go to Eastern European countries and. People still care about the family. They still they still care about the country. They still have their religion. They still have their tradition. And they're willing to defend those things. When you look at opinion polling, it's like 10% of the people in France want to actually defend their country if they got invaded. And they're in the process of being invaded, by the way. Not in the same way that Russia's invaded Ukraine, but we've seen we've seen the pro-Hamas protests in France that have taken place yeah. recently. Well, and, I, and, and and yet there's no stomach to stand up and actually do what needs to be done. It doesn't matter about wokeism. It doesn't matter about Marxism. It doesn't matter about feminism. Yeah, the, all these things came along in the past hundred years or so, and they suck. They suck a lot. But you know what hasn't changed? Violence hasn't changed. The fact that people invade foreign countries, that hasn't changed. The fact that there's things that are worth defending and protecting, those haven't changed. Yeah. And the response from men, again, I, I look at Ukraine, the response from men was not, let me cry about how unfortunate my circumstances are in this moment. The response was, I need to deal with the threat. Well, I, I think that's true. I also think it is interesting that, uh, again, a lot of the people that would use the broad terms that we read off about toughness and anti-femininity and power, right? They would, If they would have broken down the male population of Ukraine, 
based off those traits and they would have come to certain conclusions about who the good guys were and who the bad guys were, right? The good guys being the ones that didn't display those traits of toughness and power and anti-femininity. Yeah. I wonder what their assessment would have been the moment the T-80s rolled across the border. Like all, all of a sudden those men become valuable again, right? Because it turns out you're not going to turn back the Russian tide with a bunch of gender studies majors and, and men, you know, crying, about like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Like nobody wants that. Sorry, nobody wants that when it actually gets dangerous. And and the thing that Do you I mean that they're not going to be able to hashtag me too their way out no. of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's how we solve all our problems. <laughs> well and, and and again I think I think what all of this comes down to is that this this narrative to, when you look at the two definitions, that is what is so telling to me. Toxic masculinity is here's all the masculine traits and here's all the negative manifestations of them. And we're going to treat it as if these are the norms mm -hmm. and that these are bad. But then when you look at toxic femininity, it's not about what are the negative manifestations of feminine traits. It's no, no, no. Toxic femininity is when women feel put upon to act in a certain way. Right. Do, whenever we yeah. say toxic masculinity, if we would have given off a definition of toxic masculinity, which says, well, this is when when when, you know, society and, and women tell men that they they have to behave a certain way and that they have to limit themselves. These only, uh, that is never how that's interpreted. Right. And, and so I, what I want to do is like we've talked about this with. OK, so for masculine traits. Again, based off of what this website that clearly doesn't agree with us and the interpretation of these traits, they're saying things like aggression, toughness, competitiveness. You know, we, we could also add stoicism in there, um, compartmentalization, all of those things. And they're getting very broad. We've just sat here and talked about each one of these things and been very easy to acknowledge there's positive manifestations of aggression. There's negative ones. There's positive manifestations of competitiveness. There's negative ones. There's positive capacities and capabilities for violence. There's negative ones. Here's what I would ask. Here's what I would ask um, women to understand about masculine traits and how they can go from the, the negative into the, or how they can go from the positive into the negative. Right. And, and understanding kind of the thought process that men are going through, right? If, if you're a woman and you're watching this, you think this is valuable at all. I don't claim to speak for all men, but I'm, I'm willing to bet what I'm about to say is something that will probably get thumbs up from the men around this table and, and probably some of the audience. I, I was listening to a, uh, a, a woman who talked a lot about kind of the, the travails and, and the difficulties and, and the things associated with being a woman. And she, she shared this story in her Ted talk where a man came up afterwards. He goes, I, I, I understood you didn't talk, you know, much about, you know, I, 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 he goes, I appreciate what you had to say about shame. I noticed you didn't say much about men with respect to shame. And she goes, well, I don't really study that. And he, his response to her was, well, isn't that convenient? And it, it really struck her. And, and he said, you know, because I've noticed that a lot of women that talk on this issue think that what's going on is men are pressuring other men into these situations. He goes, do you see the books you just signed for my wife and three daughters over there? He goes, I get more pressure from them than any other man in my life. He goes, they want me and they expect me to be on that horse. I'm not allowed to fall off of it. I'm not allowed to drop my guard. I'm not, that is an expectation that they have of me. And what it was is she started to realize that no, there is pressure applied to men as well from women. It's not just men applying this pressure and toxic masculinity. But the one thing that I don't know if was fully grasped in that moment, because I do think she was, she was really trying to properly understand the male perspective on the pressures associated with what we're expected to do and protect and provide. 
But it was this idea that, well, men also need a certain degree of, of sensitivity. And the one thing, and I'm only going to speak for myself now. I'm not going to speak for men in general. You guys can tell me what you, you think about this, whether or not I'm, I'm on in this. What I think that man was trying to express to her in that particular moment was an appreciation for the things that we do and the things that we sometimes endure and the characteristics that we try to develop are not just about impressing the other men in our lives so that we can have a higher social status. That so much of it really is geared toward protecting and providing for the women in our lives that we love and the understanding that they want us to do it and that to varying degrees they rely upon us to do it. That it is our responsibility. And so our, our, our job, what we're asking for is not, gosh, can you give us a moment to get off the horse, put down our sword and our shield, and just have a good cry with you? That's not what we're asking for. It's more the appreciation for what it takes to set up on that horse in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the conflict, in the middle of the fight, to be compartmentalized, to be focused to not allow the danger to sway us when the very safety of the people in our lives and specifically the women in our lives are completely dependent upon us being able to stand up there and do it. Because there's going to be times where developing those capabilities to be prepared for that horrible moment, which may never come, may manifest itself in ways that are not perfect. And rather than being told that we'll see See, you spent all that time being ready to, to, to stand guard. And, and so you were emotionally closed off. We know we need to be better about it. But when a wife, when a daughter, and this is something that I've been incredibly blessed with, with both my, my wife and my daughters, when they recognize the value on the role that you play as the husband and as the father, and they realize that sometimes, sometimes what it means is dad's not always going to get it right on the emotional availability. Husband's not always going to get it right on the emotional availability. There's going to be times where it manifests itself in frustration or, or anger because they want to be strong. When the wife or the daughter takes that moment to just say, you know, sweetheart, I love you and I appreciate what you do. Or daddy, I love you and I appreciate what you do. That's what gets us to, to once again, not lower our guard toward the enemy or to the threats, but to be able to display the tenderness toward our wife, toward our daughters, toward our children, that is theirs alone. It belongs to them. The rest of the world does not get to see it the way they get to see it. And I have noticed that if, if you want to be able to call that out in your husband, in your father, a lot of times the best way to do it is just the simple recognition of appreciation that when they are doing a good job, when they are doing a good job, recognizing we know it's tough, and we thank you for doing it. I will tell you, nothing melts me more with, with, with the people in my life like that. And like I said, I've, I've been very blessed to, to be able to receive that from both my wife and from my daughters. And, and hopefully it's, it's led to um, being able to achieve and develop that emotional maturity that you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, precisely because I know I'm doing in an environment where the people I'm doing it for appreciate it and respect it. And it's not seen as weakness. It's seen as tenderness. Well, and it's respect. Like you've yeah. earned our respect and our gratitude because you were doing your job as a man properly. And that's a lot of things that these modern feminist men, 
like you're not doing your job properly. But then also on the other side, I feel like feminists expect men to be perfect. Like they just cannot do any, like if you do anything wrong, like if you're even a little bit not emotionally available, it's like, oh, it's over. You know, it's like, I feel like feminists use toxic masculinity and stuff as an excuse for their poor choice in men. Oh, dang. (laughs) They do. I'm sorry, but I hear it all the time. I'll have people be like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend's in prison, but I love him and da 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 da. And I'm like, I know as soon as they break it off, she's all of a sudden going to find all the problems with it. I was like, but you chose that. That's what you chose. Like, my boyfriend's not in prison. He's counseling students in a high school. To keep them out of prison. Because that's what I chose. <laughs> I, I, I do think that there's something to be said about all those uh, – all those men on the internet, you know, on, on all the all the podcasts out there, you know, like whatever, Fresh and Fit and stuff like that, that point out that like I as a man am being asked to be five times better than my father or grandfather for somebody that's five times worse mm-hmm. than my grandmother or mother. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. This is part of the reason that you're seeing the complete and, and utter breakdown of the dating. The, the dating market is more broken right now than the U.S. housing market. <laughs> I, I, I think this is what happens when people take their eye off the ball and when they expect that their relationship, their marriage is to serve a different purpose than what it actually should serve. Mm-hmm. If the goal of your relationship and your marriage is just to bring you ultimate happiness, well, then you probably are going to be very picky about all of these things. But if your goal is to have a very healthy and successful marriage, is to raise a family, is to grow in, uh, grow in that family, I think you prioritize different things. Uh, but going back to what you said, Nick, a little bit earlier, I wonder if... Um, women may not understand that men run a great risk in potentially getting off the horse and losing respect. Oh, yeah. And it's it's huge. And women may not think that they will lose respect for the man in their life that gets off the horse for a little bit. But we know, even if they don't tell us, that there's high potential for that. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think it's it's accurate. And I think sometimes... Here's where I think there might be a a potential disconnect, right? There's actually... um, in, in scripture, and regardless of whether or not you're a Christian, just hear this out, because I, I think regardless of whether or not you believe what I believe, you can respect perhaps some of the practical wisdom of this, where there's, there's a thing where in scripture it says, men, love your, wi- love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it, right? So right off the bat, you see this idea of sacrificial love that a man is supposed to display for his wife. And then for women, it talks about women respecting their husband. And that leads some people to come to this conclusion that, oh, okay, women want love and men want respect. That, that's not an accurate interpretation of that scripture because both men and women want love and want respect. I, I think what's different is that most of the women I know have a capacity for love which supersedes their ability or, or supersedes uh, respect, which is to say I, I know women that love people that they do not respect. <laughs> Do not respect at all. You are going to be hard pressed for, to find a man that loves someone they don't respect, especially if it's another man. And I mean this obviously in a platonic sense, right? But men associate with respect and love so closely together that to feel one without the other doesn't feel like love to us. It feels like pity. 
So when a, when a woman says, oh, but I still, I love him, but we know we're not respected, it's pity, it's not love. And the, the emotional response that we have to it is very different, is very different. And so I, I think it's important to understand that when, when men are, when a man, when a good man is diligently trying to fulfill his role, he understands that there is the possibility that the, the, the women in his life, that the woman in life that he loves, that he's trying to protect, if they ever get to a point where he can feel their love, but not their respect, that is a huge blow. Like I, I, I cannot, I cannot even express what a huge blow that is to them. Um, and again, it's, it's not that, that women are, are perfectly happy being loved and not respected. It's just, I, I think it's about appreciating certain differences that we have seen manifest themselves throughout centuries of human experience. And, and part of this too is about respecting why these things, why men and women are, are generally predisposed to error in different ways. Right. And I think part of that is based off of the, the physical and biological nature of um, what we do. Like there, there's, and we're going to get into the feminine traits next, right? We spent all that. We spent this first half talking about masculine traits. We're going to get into the feminine traits next, but it's this idea that certain behaviors and certain awareness and certain uh, psychological um, components of our relationship have developed based off of certain biological realities in human history. And so th that's all I would say on it is that I, that I think that the love and respect component with a man are so closely tied that to try to separate them almost doesn't make sense to us. I, I think there's an element of confidence in, in the equation as well that if, if the woman in your life doesn't respect you, there's something out of whack in, in, in your own confidence in yourself. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If again, it's, <laughs> um, if you're somebody said on there, like, imagine your wife saying, I respect you, but I don't love you. Um, or imagine saying to a woman, I respect you, but I don't love you. Um, I, I just, I don't think women interpret that the same way as men. I could be wrong. Like, I'm not saying that I, I have the answer on this. I'm just saying that for men, I, I don't, it's very, very difficult for us to feel the sort of genuine love that we desire apart from respect. Um, in, in fact, in fact, it, it's almost, we almost see it as a negative attribute where it's almost like, oh, oh, sweetie, like, dude, once you're past the age of five, that that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> well, and I feel like um, going off your point there about love and respect, since men are like that, mm -hmm. I believe that they wouldn't love a woman that they don't respect. I don't. N not truly love a yeah. woman. You can lust after a woman or be with a woman you don't respect. Absolutely. But I don't feel like you could truly love and marry a woman that you don't respect. And I could be totally wrong, but I feel like since no, you men could, hold but you probably will end up be cheating happy. on her or you'll yeah. be happy. Again, it won't and that's go not well. real love. Yeah, no, that's, that's not true. real love. Like that's I don't true. feel like a man can truly. And so I feel like that kind of is what makes women more about love is because we feel respected by the fact that you love us, but a, a man will, with your actions. Yeah, yeah. A man will never want to be with a woman that it, it, there's almost. I can't even. I would struggle to even think of an example where a man would would say, not even say, but but act as if he respected a woman but didn't love her. Yeah. So, so the inverse mm -hmm. of what we were just saying about men, right? About how, and and let's be honest, it 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 is incredibly damaging for a man to know that somebody, especially a woman doesn't respect him, but then says that, you know, that they love him. It's, it's almost like a, 
it's it's almost like a backhanded con- or, or, or it's it, it's it's a bit emasculating in, yeah. in some ways to say because it's it's not a type of love that that man actually that, that men actually crave after it's it's more of like a you know devouring mother type of love right you know to to say that i i love you but i don't respect you that yeah. is like mm-hmm. the worst thing ever that could happen to a man likewise i i don't think that it would be i don't you know I, obviously i don't know if women think this but i i strongly don't i have strong reasons to believe that women would not like it if men said i respect you but don't love you oh no i can't imagine you yeah lily i'd be like uh <laughs> okay i guess we're done like yeah. that's I like guess, an I office guess, relationship I guess, I guess we'll be i guess we'll be friends yeah okay yeah. no i did think it was funny because someone did call it oh what if a man is not respectable should a woman fake respect and it's like if you're dating then no, you just shouldn't be dating someone who's not respectable. If you're married, you need to discuss it and talk about mm. what it is that's making you not respect him. But um, I just think that's funny. It's like, no, you shouldn't fake respect. Like if you're married, you should talk about it. If you're dating and the man's not respectable for whatever reason. Well, I, I think so. So part of this too is, is about the idea of how do you, how do you call out good traits in somebody that you want to see? Because all of us work based off of incentives and you get more of what you incentivize and you get less of what you disincentivize. And, and so the idea of, should you fake respect? I don't think you should fake respect for somebody that is doing something that is, is um, immoral or wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, if you're, if your husband's cheating on you, you shouldn't be like, well, I'm just going to fake respect because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, you don't respect that act. Um, but if, if your if your husband has a, a character attribute that you don't like, you don't need to show respect toward that attribute. Um, but there are things there are usually things that your husband does or the, your, the roles that they fulfill that you do respect and, and vice versa as well. Right? Like this is, it, it's not to say that you have to treat every action or every behavior with respect, but part of respecting another person is also understanding that they're fallible um, and that when you love them, when you, when you demonstrate respect for them, for the things that they do do that are respectful, you're encouraging more of that behavior. And, and so I, I think there is a way that you can kind of thread the needle on that. Um, let, let's do this real quick. Let's move over into the feminine traits. So we, we kind of talked about the, the, the masculine ones. Lily and I sat down, Lily, uh, Tina, my mom, we all sat down. We talked about what were feminine traits or traits that are generally associated with femininity. And so we came up with things and we obviously read there. So there was some crossover. We came up with things like compassion, nurturing, empathy and sympathy, uh, hyper awareness, multitasking, um, uh, emphasis on relationships. Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, men tend to be uh, very interested in things. Women tend to be more interested on the whole on uh, people or those relationships. So we were talking about, these are all, these are all feminine traits and that there can be just like with male traits, masculine traits, there can be positive or negative manifestations. So when we talk about nurturing, what do you consider to be a positive manifestation of nurturing? Well, I feel like the biggest thing to point out is children, mothers. Um, there is a, such a thing as a, the maternal instinct. There's a reason why we say that. I feel like as soon as the baby's born, at least in most cases, I know there's situations. Yeah. Um, but you just have just kind of this instinct. You protect. Even when you're pregnant, you have that nesting phase. Like you just have an, and even it can even go over to your husband or your boyfriend, it's like, oh yeah, like I want to do nice things for them. I want to make sure like they're comfortable when they come home, stuff like that. Um, I feel like falls under nurturing. 
So that's a positive manifestation. What do you consider to be a negative manifestation of nurturing? I feel like, especially when you're, when it comes to kind of how nurturing shows up with your significant other, you can take it overboard to where you shouldn't baby your husband. Gotcha. Uh, so you can take it overboard in that aspect. Uh, you can also be as like some moms can be far too controlling and protective of their kids. Like so much to where it's like, they don't leave the house. Like that can be too much uh, in that aspect. So, so nurturing, nurturing is a positive manifestation or the, 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 um, the impetus toward nurturing, uh, Nurturing itself could be considered nurturing is a is a positive manifestation yes. of of that we'll say emphasis on relationships and wanting to and, and then the smothering component where exactly. it's just you know infantilizing either your husband or your adult children. Okay, what about um, empathy? What about what about empathy and, and sympathy? The ability to demonstrate empathy and sympathy. I mean, I think the again, I, I think when we say that people are empathetic or, or sympathetic, we generally associate that as a as a positive trait. The ability to to truly either understand one's feelings or to even take them on, I, I think provides a you know a, 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 a again a, a positive manifestation of that would be to be able to provide comfort to somebody uh, in their time of need or their time of struggle. What's a negative aspect of it? So I was looking forward to this one because I feel like it really goes into you can use it to manipulate. Oh, I feel like and I would say the whole idea of toxic masculinity is a big show of just feminine toxicity, which is manipulation. Really? Wow. Yes. Because I mean, think about what group is pushing this feminists. So are you saying that? Toxic masculinity, the idea of it is a psyop. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. No, but but what I'm meaning is is that so feminists, right? They're upset because they believe men are abusive, men are um trying to make women subservient to them, the whole deal. And they can't fight them directly because we're just not physically capable. So what do you do if you're not physically capable to fight somebody? You emotionally manipulate them. <laughs> you emotionally attack. And I feel like that's kind of a show with like the toxic masculinity thing. You're manipulating the idea of masculinity because that's a big aspect of what men are. And so you're attacking that to try and in a, and this is all just like very bad and manipulative, but in their minds, it's like, oh, we're protecting ourselves because if we tell them that it's toxic to be tough and strong and manly. Oh, well then it's less likely that we're going to get beat up on the street. Right. Or we're going to have an abusive husband or something like that. And I feel like that's inaccurate. That's a wrong way of looking at it, but I do that's feel interesting. like it's manipulative. So, so what, what would you say to this? Jordan Peterson has, um, when they talk about male aggression, it's usually associated toward, it, it usually devolves into physical violence, mm -hmm. right? And now, there's obviously other ways that men can compete and go after one another and whatnot. But because um, men, on the whole, are, are usually physically more prone to violence and more capable of violence, it, it's, it's something that pops up more rather than conflicts between women. Mm -hmm. And so what, what Peterson was talking about, it wasn't something he came up with, but it was something that he reads within the, the clinical literature on this, is that women display violence through three categories. It's GSR, right? So it's gossip, um, slander, wait, gossip, gossiping, shaming, shaming, and rallying. Yeah. Shaming and rallying. So the, the gossiping and shaming are kind of closely connected with this idea of, um, you know, obviously 
personality assassination, right? Starting rumors about somebody. Uh, the shaming component obviously gets people to um, do something a particular way or feel pain as a result of the shame associated with it. And then the rallying is the, is the again, getting people to essentially join with you in a lot of times doing the shaming and, and the gossiping. Like what, what do you, what is your opinion on that? Oh, I 100% agree. Go to any high school cafeteria. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's true. And it, it's because it's this compensation for, um, we are physically weaker than a yeah. man. And so that's what we, but I mean, you see it every day in magazines, Hollywood, when women are, I, I think it's funny because women will talk about all this pressure we have to just look beautiful all the time and all this stuff. I was like, you're not getting that pressure from men. My fiance likes it when I don't wear makeup or do my nails or do any of that. I do that because I like it. I think it's fun. But no man has ever pressured me to do any of that stuff. You know who has? Women, social media, Hollywood, all that stuff. It's, it's all a psychological game. And I feel like it's more attributed. It starts with trying to attract men. That's why you'll find like a friend group who... It's where that idea comes from of um, having that ugly friend with you to make you look more beautiful. <laughs> That's an actual thing that people would do and it's horrible, it's yeah. awful. But you see these women will do this stuff or purposely compromise their friend's relationship because they just want the guy to like them and stuff like that. No, I 100% agree. That is 100%. And it's toxic feminine. It's toxic. <laughs> so is there, so out, out of curiosity, um, and, and one, this is the part where we were talking about before where, you know, women having an understanding for men that sometimes the the negative manifestations of the masculine trait, it is not necessarily intentional. It can be as a result of, so again, we talked about the I've, I've got to go to war. I've got to deal with these things. I've got to, and so that, that compartmentalization can essentially be, can, can be too much, even though it's, I'm trying to do it for a good purpose, right? There's, there's a big difference between someone that deliberately uses their capacity for violence to rob and harm and, mm -hmm. in order to, and then there's other people where it's like, no, that person isn't being toxic. They're doing their best. And sometimes it, 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 you know, goes over into a negative component. Um, and, and you shouldn't style that person as toxic or that attribute as toxic. You should just have an appreciation that, okay, the person, the guy's doing his best and in order to do his best here, sometimes it, it goes off the rails a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you can, I think it's the same thing for women. Sometimes when we talk about the, the manipulation component, um, where, and this kind of goes into the hyper awareness or multitasking is, is because women are in a situation where again, on the whole, on average, they're more vulnerable to physical attack than men is average mm -hmm. women is more vulnerable to physical attack than women. And, and it, I think by necessity, it creates something of an attention to detail that, that women will possess about a particular situation where sometimes it's easy for a man to look at that and be like, Oh, well you're being overly emotional or you're being overly you know fearful when in reality it's like, no, You've just developed a certain degree of hyper-awareness that is necessary and appropriate for a given situation. And if sometimes it, it yields um, maybe an overreaction. It's not appropriate to there say, oh, well, they're my wife or my girlfriend or my daughter or whatever. It's just, just overreacting and overly emotional. It's like, no. Again, the, these are important components of being able to understand a situation. 
Um, you see this sometimes with, with children that are victims of abusive homes is they're actually very, very good at identifying, um, you know, facial expressions or attitudes or behaviors, which indicate potential violence or abuse to take place. And so they're very, very good at identifying it very early on. And somebody else that's not used to that environment might be able to say, well, you know, you're just overreacting or you're being overly sensitive where it's like, okay, but that, that sensitivity toward that particular thing was developed because of, uh, of a certain condition or circumstances. And that's very different than someone being manipulative in their empathy or sympathy versus being hyper vigilant. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Exactly. No, I agree. Cause since women um, tend to be more manipulative and stuff, we see it a lot more. Uh -huh. And so I do feel as though women can identify when manipulation is happening more than a man probably could at times, especially when it comes to other women. Okay. Um, for instance, <laughs> I think it's funny sometimes Mommy will recognize, right, when a woman, like, is making eyes at you or hitting on you or whatever. But you might not recognize it every single time because your eyes are only on mommy and you yeah. only love her. <laughs> I'm not in the market. <laughs> exactly. I'm not available. No, but, uh. but she will recognize it because we know women. And I think it's the same with men. And I, I feel like you can see that a lot with when their daughters start dating, where you will have a bad feeling about the guy. But... The mom might not necessarily, or we might not necessarily, but it's because you know men and you know how they operate. Um, it's the same with us with women, and I think you're right. Um, I mean, it happens a lot with me. I talk to my fiance sometimes, and I'll just be like, you know, like there's something off about this place. Or like I would just have it to where I would go somewhere and just be like, there's something wrong here, and I don't know what it is, and I'll just leave. Whereas I feel like a man typically has to, physically see something first in order to recognize like, oh, there's a threat. This is one of the things that I have learned after almost 25 years of marriage. When, when they say in the secular world, they, they talk about women's intuition and, you know, in, in Christian world, we usually talk about women's discernment and things like that. And, and, and I do, and I do believe obviously, in, you know, my faith determines that there's also a, a spiritual component to some of this, but also it, it's a, it's very, practical to understand why, again, women would be hyper vigilant or sensitive toward a particular situation or certain behaviors. And, and it's because, again, if a man walks into a situation and I don't feel physically threatened, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm far less in, in tuned maybe to other things that are going on that are potentially problematic or dangerous or, you know, uh, hostile or, or whatnot, because I don't feel a physical threat. But if a woman is going into that same situation and the, the physical component is there, but there's also the other components that she has to look for. And what it's, what it's caused me to do um, is I remember early on in, in, you know, mommies in my marriage, right? It was, this is where I say mommies, like Tina's in my marriage. I'm talking to my daughter, <laughs> right? It was this, it was this idea. Um, it was this idea that if she couldn't explain to me why she felt a certain way about something for me, it was okay. She's just, she's not, She's being overly sensitive. And what I came to find out was, is that no, her, her, um, her experiences, her situation as being a woman in the world, as it, as it differs from me being a man in the world, um, are, are some of the things, not all of them, but some of the things to contribute to her being able to read a situation or read people in such a way that I'm not as in tune toward. And, and early on in our marriage, I wanted evidence. Now her opinion on the topic is the evidence. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because one, you know, she obviously demonstrated to me that no, no, she is a very reasonable and logical thinker on these things, but there's also things that she might not be picking up on exactly what is throwing the mood off, but it's something she'll figure it out eventually. The question is, is I'm going to wait for something really bad to happen to figure (laughs) it out? Or am I going to trust that? No, she, she sees something I don't, she feels something that I don't. And I believe that's a, that's a, again, depending on how it's nurtured, it's a positive manifestation of that hyper awareness and potentially hypersensitivity, right? That, that, that capacity for empathy and sympathy in a particular situation. I feel like that's why you end up with a lot of situations where I don't understand why she doesn't like my friends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like your friends are crazy, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's just because I feel like men can compartmentalize friendships and stuff too. It's yeah. like they they don't um, look at those things because you guys are like, oh, I don't know if he's married. Like I, I don't even know his middle name. Like whereas yeah. women with friendships, we know everything about them. Their problems are now our problems. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, when, and I think that's so that's and I think that's also something that's potentially a positive manifestation and a negative manifestation of the empathy and sympathy it is to be able to empathize for someone and be able to understand their, their plight. It can be critical to the process of walking them through it and helping them out the other side of it. By the same token, you have some people that they just have to take on every, there's almost like a codependency mm-hmm. associated where they have to take on everybody's problems because it makes them feel valuable in order to be like involved in everybody's lives. Whereas it's true. Men tend to be a lot more competitive. Like one of my, one of my best friends, your godfather, right? Eric, Eric and I have not spoken. And I think three years. If Eric walked through that door right now, it would be like time never passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and it's, uh, that's how men, that's how men treat each other. It's you, you could go years without seeing them. And then when you do, you know, it's, Hey, let's go grab a beer and, yeah. you know, catch, catch up, up. Yeah. And, and everything's fine. Like there's no, there's no feeling of, um, I, I don't know. There, there's just no feeling of like resentment or remorse or anything. It was like, yeah, we both had crap to do. Yeah. And I gotta <laughs> say, it's incredibly annoying that I inherited that trait from you because I'm a woman <laughs> yeah. and no, like there's a lot fewer women who are like that with friendship. So I'm yeah. very blessed for the friends I do have that don't mind <laughs> that I'm a horrible texter and it will be like a year later. I'll be like, Hey, yeah. how are you? Like, <laughs> it's like, I still love you. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, another aspect of, um, you know, the, the, the dual nature of, of toxic and, uh, positive aspects that, that you see within femininity is, um, w- w- with respect to the sympathy and, um, is, what was it? It was sympathy. And what was the other term? Empathy. Empathy. Yes. Um, is look at our criminal justice system. Yeah. Look at the movement that you see supposedly altruistic motives, but we have gotten to a point, let's be completely honest, where a huge portion of our criminal justice system seemingly cares more about the victim or seemingly cares more about the perpetrator than the victim. Yeah. And in large part, that is because of these, I, I, again, like you know, th- this utopian worldview that, you know, we just need to think about that, you know, the, 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 the poor, I mean, how many times have we seen videos of people ransacking stores and then somebody like AOC will come out and be like, these people just need to feed their families. Yeah. Yeah. Really? With, with Nikes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, uh, that's why, that's, with that, with that watch, with yeah. that Rolex. All right. That, that's, that's why they smashed and grabbed an Apple store, right? Because yeah. they're going to feed their family a MacBook. Like yeah. I, 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 and so 
Of course, I they're going to respond like, no, idiot. We know they're not going to eat the MacBook. They're going to sell it on the black market and then buy Like, okay. But, <laughs> but how mean, much of this do we honest, endure? It's not... It's not mostly men that are pushing for watering down the criminal justice. It's, no. it's a bunch of sociology majors that yeah. are doing it. And guess what? Take a guess what the gender balance is within sociology. Like, <laughs> I, I, the reason that I bring this up is because that is definitely a negative aspect of of empathizing almost too much with the perpetrator of a crime rather than the victim of the crime. And that's absolutely where we're going within the criminal justice system. I would argue that that's where we're going within the court system as well. Yeah, it's. It's certainly where we've gone within academia. Like, like we've overly feminized the schooling system. And then we wonder why it's like 60% of college degree holders that are graduating now are women. Men aren't even going to universities anymore. In part because universities have become completely feminized and openly hostile to men. You walk in as a man into a university and the first thing you're told is one out of every four women are going to be sexually assaulted in universities. And it's like everybody in the room looks at you. Yeah. I can tell you from personal experience when I was in college, there would be, I, I because I went to JMU, which was already over 60, 40 female to male. And, you know, you would walk into a class, depending on the class, and something would come along and it would just be a typical I hate men type of of lecture and like people would look at you because, you know, only 30% of the room were men. Yeah. Or 25% of the room were men. And it's like, again, I'm like, I'm an 18, 19 year old kid. Like I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything with my life. I haven't, I haven't created any of these power structures. I haven't gone out, 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 you know, out there and raped anybody. Like I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. And yet I'm being blamed for things that we then, you know, turn out and discover, no, this is an exaggeration. It's not one in four women are being sexually assaulted in universities. That's ridiculous. That's not at all happening. But then when you question those type of things, you're also attacked for questioning the narrative as well. well I, I and, and it's the over feminization of the university system that again, I, from, from my own personal experience, I've witnessed that myself, but it's, it's not just the university system. It's happening everywhere. We're over feminizing everything in society. You can't be a man now without somebody being offended about it. And you can't demonstrate any of the positive aspects of masculinity that we talked about in the first half of this episode, again, without somebody being offended about well, it. Well, here's, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about that though. Um, I, I don't, I don't disagree that somebody's going to be offended. I don't disagree that the, the negative manifestations of feminine traits have become very, very prominent within the education system. Remember the longhouse? Right. Well, yeah, no, the, the thing, well, the thing that I want to emphasize that on, on that as well is it's this idea where we're, when we talk about the over feminization, my biggest problem is the negative manifestation of feminine traits, right? It's so it, it's not that it's not that our schools have become too nurturing, right? It's not that our, it's that our schools have become enabling and then smothering and then hostile toward masculine traits, Right. Th- those are those are the problems. Right. Like, I, I don't want to put the emphasis on like a feminine element is is in and of itself the bad part of this. It's the negative manifestations of feminine traits. Like, interestingly enough, toxic masculinity is not what is dominating the university system. But you could definitely argue if you want to use those that terminology, that toxic femininity is far more prevalent. I, I think within aspects of the university system, especially when we talk about the HR departments and the administration of them. Right now, again, 
that doesn't mean that a feminine component or feminine presence or feminine, uh, you know, aspects with respect to the management of a university is, is in, and of, in and of itself a bad thing any more than the masculine attributes would be. In fact, what most of us are looking for in our lives is a balance between the two. And what we notice is that in, in a healthy marriage, what do you see? You see a balance between the positive attributes of, a, of masculine traits and the positive attributes of feminine traits. And then what you see within a healthy relationship between the husband and wife is the, the honing and refining the masculine traits and the feminine traits. Right. And then in, until you achieve that kind of balance, that equilibrium where people find out that the roles that they play within that relationship optimizes the relationship when they respect that there's actual roles, right? The moment you're like, we're going to get rid of all those roles and anybody can do anything that they want. Who's happier, right? Who's happier as a result of that theory? And, and, and anymore, what's amazing is the same people that will look at me and be like, I don't need your religious justification for your belief system. Okay, how do you like the practical manifestations of it when it's actually executed appropriately and properly, right? You know what I don't like? I don't like the manifestations of your you know secular determinism with respect to just throwing out traditional norms and say, well, it's this way now. And then pretending as if you have some sort of grandiose moral authority to determine that. At the very least, if you're going to say that there, if you're going to state that there is no divine order into any of this, and this is all just about utilitarianism, well, then I'm going to point out that the statistics and the practical outworkings overwhelmingly favor those people that apply one worldview versus the ones that are applying your new popular worldview. I'm going to point out that a lot of the, the people perpetrating this particular worldview don't seem to be too happy with the results of it based off of their own internal polling, based off of the internal results. So golly gee willikers, there might be something to that. All right, let, let's go into this. Let's go into this third segment here real quick. And we'll, we'll kind of like wrap up with this right now. Obviously, everyone at the table here is not representative of every man or woman on the planet. Right. But. <laughs> Uh, it's what we got. We we actually called every man and woman on the planet to see if they wanted to participate today, and and Lily responded, so she's here. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, and, uh, <laughs> I was the only one to respond. Yeah, but but here here's 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 what I, I want to hear. So obviously, you know, I'm already married, been married for almost 25 years. You're engaged, Christian Hamilton. You you want to get married, all right? So. Let me ask you this for, for any woman that's watching this, any man that's watching this, that may be in a similar situation and is fed up, right? Because for instance, when we talk about the whatever podcast or when we talk about fresh or fit, or we talk about an interview with Andrew Tate, one of the things that Tina always brings up, the queen of the bees always brings up is I don't like that. This seems to be the personification of what an American woman is now, right? The, the only fans club girl seems to be in this elevated position of speaking for all of womanhood and Western civilization. She sure as heck doesn't represent me. She doesn't represent our daughters. She doesn't represent, I, I'm willing to bet a significant part. We were at the homesteaders conference this last weekend. Certainly didn't represent the, the young women at that place. So this is an opportunity for, you to be able, you get to represent, you know, the, the other side. So whatever podcast, fresh and fit, they give us the, the only fans club girl version of what women want and expect men to be. Okay. Um, and then we also hear the, the version of, of what, you know, women think those same women think men want them to be, or tell them what men should expect or not expect or should want or not want. So today what we'll do, right. We'll give, we'll give, 
Christian and Hamilton an opportunity. Like, okay, what is it? What is it that you really want? What does a guy like you really want? And Lily, you get to describe, you know, what what you wanted and what you have gotten right, <laughs> with respect to your fiance. So um, let's go with you first, Lily. What 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 is it that you know you you what is it that you wanted from marriage, and why is it that you picked the guy you did? I wanted a man of God who was strong, who would protect me, who would provide for me, and who would be a good father to my children. That was always my idea about even dating in general. I dated to marry. I didn't date until I was able to marry because there's no point. It's stupid, like honestly. Yeah. Like you, you're basically just playing around with people's emotions. People will say like, oh, it's practice. I'm like, I get to be, I get to sit down with my fiance and tell him he's the only one I've ever kissed. Yeah. He's only the second man I've ever dated. Yeah. Um, and everything's for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get to give all of that to him. There is no baggage that I have to carry and tell him about. But I feel like it's important, especially me as a Christian, wanting a godly marriage that my future husband would be on the same page because he's supposed to be my umbrella, my protector, and I'm supposed to be the one to support him in that. And not only that, since we are called in the Bible to be submissive to our husbands, um, which I feel like people oftentimes misinterpret that, um, because we're supposed to be submissive under our husbands as long as he's following the will of the Lord. And so, which means if I'm looking for a husband, I need to find a man who is following the will of the Lord and that I can, everyone makes mistakes. There's going to be bumps down the road, but I'm supposed to be there to support him in that and to help him and to provide our children (laughs) and to make a loving Christian home. Yeah. And so that was everything I look for. And I found everything in that and the man I was going to marry, but I'd never lowered my standards. I feel like a lot of women will lower their standards and expect all that from a man who doesn't go to church, who's an atheist, who's a feminist. They'll expect all of those things from him. Like, I feel like these women want a butler, not a husband. <laughs> like They just want to sit in a mansion, look pretty, and have the men provide everything for them without them providing anything themselves. Like, that's what it just sounds like they want when I watch the whatever podcast and stuff like that. And I listen to these women and I'm, (laughs) um, you need to be the person that you want to marry. So let let me ask you this. What, what were your expectations? So that's what you wanted. What were your expectations like practically Mm -hmm. for him? When you say protector, when you say provider, when you say good father, like, what, what did you, cause again, when they, these people go on here and they're like, oh, you got to do this and you got to have this and you got to be this and you got to do that. What were, what was your expectations with that? You got to be emotionally mature when it comes to your family. And, um, in my fiance's kiss, the case, the children you work with, um, he's helps in the youth group and is a school counselor. So I look at how he treats the other children and how he speaks about the Lord and how he like actions have to follow it when it comes to being a Christian. Mm -hmm. He can't just come up to me and be like, Oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays and that's the end of discussion. No, I want to hear in depth. What is your relationship with the Lord? And you have to be able to articulate that to me. That is my expectation. And then, yeah, you need to have a job. Your, your need to be able to provide needs to outrank 
your need to have the perfect job that you want. Mm. Now, that's not to say that because I believe as my wife, it's my job to support you in what your dreams are. And it's his job to support me in what my dreams are. Mm -hmm. Like that's the ideal, right? But the whole idea of marriage is that you work towards that together. It's not about, so I, I don't want him to be like, oh no, I just refuse to work any other job until I have this because that's just unrealistic. And so that's what I expect as far as providing. You, you're, that needs to be your priority is providing for your family and what's best for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah. was, it wasn't the idea that you, you, you can't pursue your dreams, but it's like you have a responsibility to provide for your family exactly. and that has to take precedent. And on my part, it's not this arbitrary number of, oh, you need to make six figures. Yeah. It's no, we need to, I'm going to help you. We're going to make it work and we're going to figure out what's the best thing to do for both of us. Yeah. You know, it's not just, I'm putting that all on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm putting providing on you. That's your responsibility, but that doesn't mean I don't help. Well, what is it? So what, so out of curiosity, because this always, this always gets asked in those other podcasts, like, well, what do you bring to the table? So mm-hmm. what did you, what did, so you're saying that, Hey, I expect you to protect. I expect you to provide. I expect you to lead. I expect you to do these things. Um, what expectations did you put on yourself for him? So in our situation, I want yeah. to homeschool our kids one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to fill that more stay-at-home mom role, although I do love to do other things and will do other things. That is my priority, Mm -hmm. is to be a mother one day. And so my responsibility is going to be, okay, how can I prepare myself to where I can keep up a good home, a clean, safe, happy home for my kids and for my husband to come home to? And then my second objective would be, of course, supporting Mm -hmm. my husband. Mm -hmm. If he comes home after a hard day at work, I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure I'm supporting him. I'm hearing him. If he, if we need to discuss things about something he's confused on or something like that, I'm there to help provide a different perspective and just stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it does come down to little things like me making sure I know how to cook and I know how to clean and that I do research into how to best educate our children. And those are all things that I purposely try to bring to the table. I'm not expecting me to just be a little princess who just sits <laughs> on the couch like these other women seem to expect men to just do everything. Yeah. Um, no, I fully intend to fulfill my role as a biblical godly wife and mother. Um, and that's the kind of responsibility I put on myself. Okay. Lily, I've got a, I've got a question for you. You know, we were talking about masculine traits and toughness and conscientiousness, but I, I find that the women that are in my life that I have the most respect for are some of the hardest working, toughest, most conscientious people I've ever met. And so I, I, I want to get your thoughts on how those traits play out for women as well, because I think they play out just, you know, in societal terms differently how do you see that playing out with being tough and conscientious and hardworking? So I feel, so with the toughness, I'll start with that one. I feel like you can particularly see that. Um, and I use a lot of mother examples, yeah. but you can particularly see that with a mom raising boys. <laughs> My fiance, um, it's just him and his brother. His mom is a boy mom. And that is the toughest woman I've ever met. But she's also like the sweetest woman I've ever met. And I feel like toughness for a woman is she's tough. She's disciplined. She won't let you walk all over her and stuff like that. But she didn't lose that nurturing side of her. 
Like she didn't abandon that just to be mean and tough. And I feel like even when I was interning um, down in Richmond or I was in the PAGE program, um, I noticed that the female politicians were significantly meaner than the male po- politicians. <laughs> they just are. Like, I'm not saying all of them, but yeah. a majority, yes. And I feel like it's this, they're not just trying to be tough. They're trying to prove that they're tough. And uh, I feel like actual yeah. strong, tough women don't have to prove it. Um, and as far as the other aspects you were referring to, I feel like um, the hardworking can absolutely be, I mean, I always worked two jobs my whole life leading up. I had goals and I was going to yeah. do those goals my myself. I wasn't going to expect a man to come along and, you know, provide everything for me. So I worked hard to do that. Now, of course, that adjusts when you're in a marriage situation. I was single at the time and preparing for cosmetology school and all that. But I feel like that shows a lot from a man's perspective that shows how she's going to be as a wife and mother. Yeah. as well or even if she she doesn't end up being a mom um that shows a lot about just a person in their character well and, and I, i'm sure there's going to be people watching this uh, thinking like okay you know homeschool family and the whole deal like we like just brainwashed you into this <laughs> like, yeah uh, under understand for anybody that thinks that we didn't raise both of our girls to be capable of both strength um and independence Right. The, the goal wasn't independence. Independence was the capability that we wanted them to have. We didn't want them to have to live with it. Um, but it was it was the idea that when like we told all of our kids, we don't owe you a college education. Doesn't mean we won't help with one. We don't owe you one. We don't owe you a car. Doesn't mean we won't assist. We don't owe it to you. And and the way that, you know, Lily did that is she got a job. She worked. She bought her a car. And then she wanted to go, she wanted to go to Paul Mitchell, $22,000. She got a job, she worked, she saved up, she paid for it. Like, and, and it was, it was one of those things where some parents will, will look at Tina and I and be like, well, I can't believe you would. Okay. Well, believe it. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I, and I don't regret it because it was never one of those situations where we would have, we would have just allowed everything to fall apart because, you know, they missed, had to miss a shift because they were sick. But it was one of those things where we did want our kids to grow up with a, a certain understanding of you have to be capable, you have to be strong, boy or girl, you have to be capable and strong. You have to be able to feed yourself, right? Not because it's the ideal situation. You want to, I, I think most people, not everyone, but most people want to get in a situation where they're in a mutually loving and respectful relationship. And then what they do is they find where, where their, their talents and their abilities within that relationship best flourish, Right. And, and they find a, like a, a great equilibrium to where they're optimized. Right. The relationship is optimized because they both respect and appreciate the roles that they play and their spouse appreciates the roles that they play. And and so that that was the goal. And that's so that's why when, you know, for a little bit of backstory, when when Lily talks about, you know, hey, look, being able to be to provide and be independent, and be able to help and support. Um, that was about, you know, we thought it was important for for both our son and our girls that they needed capabilities that would make them marketable, uh, that would make them confident and, and competent in part because we didn't want them to be in a situation where they would be dependent upon somebody to, uh, especially when they were looking for a potential spouse, we didn't want them to be in a situation where they felt like I better get married because what else am I going to do? 
We never wanted him to be in that situation. We wanted him that when they were looking for someone to marry, that they could be confident that this was the person that was was for them, that they were in love with them. It was a person, you know, again, for our faith that God had for him. Um, and that's good. I, I'm going to end with this real quick. Because somebody, no, no, well, no, 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 wait, wait, stop, stop. No, 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 no. I'm not ending the show. Okay, I was about to say, My there's an important God. question that I, I still need to Homeboy needs to chill out over here. You're, you're being toxic I right was, now. All right, <laughs> I'll be listen, toxic. Listen, I, listen, I'm not done, right? Just calm down. Christian. I was about to panic. I need. Why do you think I got it? So somebody in somebody in the uh, comments section said, "I didn't even know who this was. Who is it? Uh, Io." She's the main character. Alloy. She's Alloy from uh, oh, so, Horizon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so somebody said you look like Alloy from Horizon. So. Oh really? Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn. Yeah, Cody. Yeah. Listen, our, our, you guys didn't play the next game of that, did you? <laughs> Cody, <laughs> our did, video. Did the outfit change significantly? Uh, she becomes a lesbian, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course yeah. the video game. Well, they, they oh, by the way, Nick this is was very thing. upset about yeah. that. <laughs> this is another thing that uh, radical woke feminists have completely destroyed, which is the video game industry. Yeah. Any, oh, yeah. any male gamer can tell you immediately what I'm talking about and, and, and the truth behind that. They've completely destroyed the video game industry, just like they did with Star Wars and all the other intellectual properties that, you know, companies like Disney yeah. have also bulldozed. But, all right. So now before we move on to something, I know I, I don't I want you to. Mm -hmm. Calm down, drink some chamomile tea. What did you want to bring okay, up? So Lily, you were bringing up earlier that, you know, you feel like that so many women have lowered their standards. And I actually could not disagree with you more on that. I'll, I'm going to respectfully disagree because I've, I've known Lily for a very long time, just like I've known Nick and, and Tina for what, like 12 years or something like that. Um, but Lily, I, I do think that you're, you're an outlier and I mean this in a positive way, like, like you're a positive outlier. And personally, I, I, I don't think I could disagree stronger. And the idea that I don't think women have lowered their standards. I think they've raised them to be unimaginably impossible to fulfill. There's a thing called like the female delusion calculator that some of these people on these podcasts, like <laughs> yeah. fresh and fit and whatever have come up with where they will be like, okay, what percentage of men are unmarried unless you're into, into being a home wrecker, what percentage <laughs> of men are, are unmarried six feet tall, make a hundred grand plus a year, you know, like, like meet all of these, these things that, that these women on these podcasts say that they demand out of a man. And then they'll plug in the numbers and it'll be like 0.5% of the population. Yeah. And yet you're seeing this like extreme hypergamy. And I mean, extreme, like, like, like to the point that it's almost like polygamy, like extreme hypergamy and, and hypergamy is basically a distribution where it's 80% of women are throwing themselves at 10% of men. And, and then the other 90% of men have to fight over the remaining 20% of women. And it doesn't, uh, the only people that, that went out on that are the, are the giga chads that do actually, <laughs> you know, are actually six foot five and, you know, make, you know, 250,000 a year and, and, you know, all this stuff. And they're under the age of 35 and whatever, like, like you know, so the, the math doesn't matter. The, ma the, the mm -hmm. math doesn't work. I, I think that women, younger women that are still in the dating market or, or, or marriage market are just, are just totally delusional. And this is why you see in some of these podcasts, the men push back sometimes aggressively. So and say, well, what exactly do you bring to the table yeah. other than a, a double digit body count? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, so what I, I, I think I get where you're coming from Lily, but I feel like first off you're an outlier and that you're not like many of these other women. And second off, 
I really disagree with the idea that women have lowered their standards. I think they've raised them to be impossible for the average man to. Okay. So what do you say? So I, I do agree with what you're saying. And maybe my wording was poor when I was talking about that, but what I would bring up is, um, look at how successful their relationships are. I would say the fact that they are, so the standard, of course, of they expect you to be making this obscene amount of money and all this stuff. Yeah, those are like impossibly high standards and everything. I'm talking about standards for themselves. Like that in itself is setting a low standard for the relationship. Ah, uh, gotcha. Like that is a low, and I would also argue that, yeah, that's a lot of like the, um, the, uh, women who go on these podcasts and stuff like that, but that doesn't actually, I don't think represent all women, the women who don't look at this stuff and stuff like that. I do, I do believe it speaks to them, but just from being out in the world and just, and talking with as many women as I have mm -hmm. who aren't Christians, who don't believe the same way as me yeah. every single time, it's kind of like falling victim to that empathy thing. Yeah. They say all this stuff. They talk all this talk, but those aren't the men they choose. And when they choose those men and they're in that bad situation, they don't leave because they make all these excuses like, oh, but his mom was mean to him as a child or like, oh, but he's going through this. It's the same example with the prison thing. So, like you're, my but, so you're agreeing with Christian. Then. I do. I do agree with Christian that um, women, when they talk, will have these impossibly high standards for men. Yeah. Um, but in turn, that means that they have low standards for the relationship. Hmm. I would disagree with, uh, maybe I don't disagree. I would say that women have repositioned their preferences to things which do not yield a long-term successful relationship. Yes, I agree. And I also think, playing off of what you said, that the girls that go on the whatever podcast are not representative of every girl in the country. And I also think we have to keep in mind that we are using a lot of online data and experiences to determine what every girl in the world or in the United States wants. Mm -hmm. And you also brought up a great point that if you are active in a church community, if you are active in a community like the homesteading community, that's not the case. There mm -hmm. are very good women there. But I, I also think it needs to be said that while the um, number of women that I believe I'm interested in and have the qualities of marriage has declined over the past 20 years, um, the number of men that believe what I believe and would be adequate for someone like yourself who is interested in certain qualities, those numbers of men have declined as well. Oh, absolutely. So, we, Christian, we just got to figure out how. <laughs> We're just doomed, man. <laughs> how? No, no, no. The, the, the pool has gotten smaller. We just got to figure out where the pool is. You guys yeah. got to fish in the right ponds, okay? <laughs> right. You guys are going to like, all that these I'm hearing clubs is, and stuff. And like, well, all that I'm hearing is that no, the pond, don't. yeah, I don't even leave this house. <laughs> well, that, well, that, that could be part of the problem. <laughs> I, I like I I posted in Facebook because I was not going to post this in, on Twitter. I posted the other day on Facebook. I'm like, the number of of complete strangers who now know who I am is really unnerving to me. <laughs> this is going to sound insanely stupid, but sometimes I'm a total idiot. What what can I say? Like, I I'm very introverted. Actually, yeah. I I like when I get to know you. Like Nick and I will talk for like five yeah. hours straight about you know the Byzantine Empire or whatever. Right. Part of the reason that that he and I worked so poorly together in Richmond. His first two <laughs> sessions was because we would spend like three hours in his office rather than doing like 
you know, work. making sure, yeah, rather than doing work, we would talk about like, you know, was Charles the Twelfth mistaken when he tried to invade <laughs> Russia? Like, okay, I wanted, I just want to let all my constituents know that no, we were still doing work. <laughs> I wasn't, but yeah. was. anyway, the, the 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 point is, is that like when. You know, when I become friends with somebody, especially yeah. when they share my interest, and I love history, I love economics, I yeah. love politics, but I especially love history, I'll talk to you forever. And part of the reason that I've been able to to get over my my introvertedness on this podcast, a very public outlet, is because for the longest time, I I just kind of like mentally forgot that other people were listening and that it was just going to be Nick yeah. and I, which is also why if you go back to our earlier episodes, you see so many comments from people that are like, why is Christian constantly interrupting Nick? Because that's how we just talk <laughs> yeah. to each other all like normally. That's how we talk to each other. But yeah, it, it's kind of kind of awkward for, you know, somebody who's very, very, very introverted to be in a podcast. It's something I've had to overcome. And now I'm having to deal with the fact that people actually know who I am and I don't know who they are. And that's really unnerving, but, um, you'll, you, you'll be all right. It, <laughs> but like, yeah, that's a huge problem. But, but the whole dating market, it's, it's not just that, Oh, there's less fish in the sea. The, the sea's also smaller. And so that's why I was joking with Hamilton a minute ago that like, Oh, we're doomed. Like at some point, I know that we did this in December, but at some point we need to revisit the complete collapse of the dating market because well, we did an episode, we did a three part series about men and then women and then, well, and then let, families. Let, but, but that market, there's some problems there. Go ahead, Nick. No, no, let, let, let's do this. Let's, Cause we got some, we got some super chats we need to get to and some questions we need to get to. And I have one last but, question. But I, for well, Lily. But, okay. Yeah. You have one last question for Lily, but then remember Lily just gave her, you know, ideal. Yeah. Right. Do you guys get to give your idea? Oh, wow. Right. All right. So, but like, you know, make it quick. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Hamilton. Oh, all right. Wow. This is on the spot. No, uh, no, no. We'll first ask Lily the question. Oh, okay. I can do that. <laughs> it's not on the spot. Um, I think women, whether it's a conscious decision or not, when looking for a partner, seek, uh, identify traits, which tells them that, uh, that partner is a good long-term bet that mm -hmm. they can be confident that that, uh, potential partner is going to be there for them 20 years down the road, will be there for their kids 15, 20, 30 years down the road. And I'm wondering, because I think this could be very helpful for men in my position, I'm wondering how do you locate or find those traits early on? Or in the first time you're meeting uh, a man or, you know, have known someone for a while, like how do you determine whether or not this individual man would be a good long-term play for you? Their thoughts on talking about marriage early on in the relationship. Huh. 100%. Because, and I was just about to say this, any advice to young men out there who are in their teens or whatever right now who want a good godly woman in their lives one day, um, don't wait until you're 30 to be ready for marriage. <laughs> you have to be ready for Oops. marriage early. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, and the reason why I say this is because a good godly woman wants to be a mom. Yeah. Or, or, and I'm, I'm saying this just in general, yeah. I know not all women want that, but, um, they're going to be thinking about marriage sooner. And the only reason why Nick and I worked, he's 27, I'm 20. And so that ended up working out. But what I find a lot with men is that you'll get to 27, 30. Oh, thanks for calling and us out. I know, <laughs> you're 27 or 30. And it'll be like, well, there's no one there. And I was like, yeah, cause they're already married. Like they're already getting married. They're already with the person that they're going to marry. And so that is one piece of advice is contemplate marriage more. 
And don't be afraid of the topic of marriage when you're in a relationship, because that's going to be how we identify how you are. Also, if you push us to have sex before marriage, push the boundary on that before, like that's a red flag for me. I feel like you don't take this relationship long term because why do you want this right now if you want to be with me forever? Mm-hmm. Um, so no, but I think the number one thing is definitely men should compl- contemplate marriage a lot sooner in life than they do. I think that's great advice. All right. Who wants to go first, Hamilton or Christian? Can, can you repeat your, the question? No, just so I asked, I asked Lily, like, what were you looking for in a, in a, you know, a marriage? Yeah. Right. And, and therefore in a man. So what are, so again, because again, we, we always get the whatever fresh and fit podcast view of what this is. And when was the last time, when was the last time you ever heard somebody that does have more of a traditional perspective of this actually articulate what it is they were looking for. Yeah. So there you go. That's Lily did that. Your, your, your chance, your opportunity. Really getting put on the spot here. Um, I think for me, got to put the camera on me. I I think for me, I'm definitely looking for obviously uh, a woman who is confident in her faith in the Lord in Christ. Um, I think that, for me, emotional maturity is also very important. Um, and I think that, oh, like, you brought up a great point, Lily, about thinking about marriage earlier. And and I think that that is a mistake that I've made. And I've been super career-focused, for like, from 22 to 28 now. And my idea was, is I'm going to get the career stuff out of the way. I'm going to get it very solidified financially. I'm going to be in a good spot so that when I do get married, money will never be a problem that it'll, it'll be taken care of. Um, but I think that that pursuit has also put me in a position to not contemplate marriage enough. Um, so I think that that's just really good advice, especially for, you know, guys that are 18, 19, 20, like you don't have to get married at 18, but you should be asked like, and, and I also think that like Christian and I's generation, like, I don't know that we were shown the best display of marriage. Like, I'm very fortunate that my direct friend group, like, all of our parents are still married, but that is absolutely not the case for many people my age. And so, like, I, I don't know if you had even, if you had told me that when I was 18, 19, or 20, whether or not I would have done anything with it. Um, I'm Obviously, my parents displayed wonderful marriage for me, um, but I, I, I kind of think that people in my generation were encouraged to focus on things that they could handle. Um, so for me, I'm getting to the point where uh, I am ready to be married and I, I've been investing in that in traits within myself that would prepare me for that for a while now. So obviously looking for a woman who is dedicated to her faith, uh, wants to be a mom. That is a trait that has become a lot more attractive to me over the, probably the last year to two years. Um, as I've kind of taken myself away from being so career focused Um, and Christian mom, emotionally mature, uh, wants to be very supportive. I'm not as attracted to women that are super, super strong willed. Um, That is just me personally. Um, But yeah, those are, those are some traits that I would list off on the forefront. Um, As Christian gets going, I might think of some more. So, ladies, in the comments, if you fit those traits. No. <laughs> well, and, and can I say one thing? I, I think a lot of times people, when they say strong will, this, there's this idea that whenever a man says they want uh, uh, 
you know, they don't want a woman that's especially strong willed. The, the, I think sometimes, and I'm, I, again, I'm not trying to, I think sometimes what people hear is like, Oh, you just want, you just want a woman to just be blindly like, obedient. I, I don't want her to be combative. Yeah. Okay. Christian. Christian's uh, arguing in the chat. He's typing out his answer. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, somebody who's not a woke idiot. like <laughs> Someone who's mentally stable. <laughs> at, at this point, I've basically given up on the idea that I'm ever going to get married or find someone. So I, I, I hate to just totally blackpill everybody at the table. But I mean, that's where I'm at at this point. So I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really looking for anybody anymore. And I don't really think anybody's looking for me. So. Gosh dang, man! <laughs> this is this 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 Let is me why get out my tiny this is violin. why this is why we've had Christian in the gym like five days a week for the past month. Yeah, somebody was like, it. "That flannel guy's a problem." I'm like, "What do you mean by a problem?" He's like, "You know, get stronger, be more confident." I'm like, "I, I ask Nick and He's Hamilton. Good. I go to He's the gym. I go to the gym day. almost as soon every as, day. As soon as it was, it was funny. We used to always be on him about this because we do our 90 day like kind of improvement plan where like everybody in our community works on things like intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, physically, professionally that they're going to get better at. Right, different skills. And Christian had always put it off. He's like, oh, "I'm finishing my masters. I'm finishing my masters." Then he finished it, and we're like, "All right, is he going to stick with it?" I got to say yeah about five days a week yeah. christian's been in there he'll 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 haul us to the gym now well, so. and i've been very impressed too that even if you and i can't go he yeah. still goes he still yeah. goes i've gone i've goes. gone many times by myself now he and I, I'll, I'll keep going because I, I i am noticing improvement actually right? and i've only been doing it for you like feel better when you do it, three man. weeks or so so mm. i'm gonna keep doing it but honestly I, I, and and we've talked about this before in um it was either the right wing backlash video or it was the episode about the left's plan for masculinity. And then, you know, I brought up that, look, there's, there's things that I've got that I can't change. Like I inherited some pretty terrible genes. I'm five, five and I went bald in my twenties. Like not exactly things that women are looking for right now. I, so many women have these height requirements that I just don't meet because I'm shorter than Christian, the average guy. I, I average think guy is you like five have nine. allowed the national conversation around dating to influence what you think women want. Do you think it's because I do a podcast twice a week where we talk about some of the cultural problems <laughs> that are like, I mean, maybe so. All but, right. You're right. You're fired. <laughs> but but it, it's ridiculous but like, though. It's ridiculous. Is though. it really ridiculous? No. Yes, it is ridiculous. No, I think you were it right the first time. Freudian slip over there. No, it's not ridiculous. Okay, at some point we will do, we really do need to do an episode specifically about the dating market because we've had, in fact, people in circle that are like teenagers, early 20 something year olds, you know, they're like 10 to five years younger than Hamilton and I here, and they're running into this problem uh, in I, a I huge way. I think they have way. worse problems than we do. They have a worse problem than we do. We, it was our generation that started this descent into the abyss and now we're in there and people that, you know, kids that are becoming adults right now, they're, they're entering adulthood. They're looking at the dating market. I said earlier in this podcast, like the dating market is worse than the housing yeah. market right now. I really do think that that's true. And it, and it, I, you know what I've seen, I've gone back and I've rewatched some of these videos where we've briefly talked about this. And I cannot tell you how many comments I've seen from people that say, Nick, I love you. I love your shorts. But the answer being just go to church, man, and you'll find somebody. No. Okay. Wait, stop, 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 stop. Like I, I, we, we had a conversation on this not that long ago where I said, you know what? Like, cause we, we talked about the argument you and I had about this and, and my statement after that was, I had no idea. Like I sat down, I listened to you explain, I listened to you lay it out. And I had no, I, I really did. I can appreciate that. I did not have 
the situation I was in when I was 19 and getting married was very different than the situation where you've been at when you were 19 or in your 20s and your early 20s and the whole deal. And I can appreciate that. I really can. Like, I am not making light of that situation. Mm-hmm. The, the conclusion that I came to, though, after listening and thinking about this was that the the problem is, is that it is it is unfair and it is unjust. And I can acknowledge that. The problem is, is the only thing that makes things more just or more fair is, I believe, when men and women actually actually work to make it better right and and if the and if the attitude is going to be i'm not going to do what i can until it's properly appreciated that's a death spiral right and 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 it's the part where i'm not saying it's fair i'm not saying it's just but it does none of that negates the fact that it's a death spiral if, right. if, enough, if enough men and enough women just decide it ain't worth it anymore well, that's pretty bad for civilization. I mean, that's absolutely where we're going. I know, but that but that's why when we get on to you about like, dude, like we can't have people that recognize what the death spiral is saying tough crap, death spiral it is. Okay, the, like that fair, that's fair that's the point, only point but, we're making. But to push back gently on that, it's not as if I'm not doing anything. No, no, I know that. I'm I going that. to the gym. No, no, no. I, like, like <laughs> hang on, let, 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 let me finish. Yeah. Um I'm such, a, I'm such a hypocrite for saying, let me finish. That's my recognition. <laughs> but um, look, look, guys, Nick and I have been basically best friends since I was in high school. I, like, I know that sounds weird, but like we got to. You were, I, you were working on my I campaign. Was, yes, yeah. I, like, no, it was before that. Yeah. It was way before that. Yeah. Like, no, I, that's true. Yeah, I you, met you, you through you, Lila's yeah. family. You were one of the people that convinced mm-hmm. me to run, jerk. And, <laughs> <laughs> so like, like Nick and I just talk like this all the time, but. Yeah. To gently push back, it's not as if I'm not doing anything. I'm going to the gym. By the way, I also think I've gotten to a point in my life now where I, I can look back and say at 29, I actually think I'm incredibly successful at where I'm at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I've actually achieved a lot that yeah. I could not have said that I achieved when I was 20 or 21. No no, no question. I've, I've, I've done a lot with my life that I'm very proud of. And not just on the academic side, like, oh, I got these degrees. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I think the university system's broken at this point. Yeah. Honestly, I got the history degree. I got the master's simply because I just wanted it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and in part because I, I never had gotten a history degree before. I majored in political science because of Nick over here. But... Um, <laughs> I, I don't actually think that that carries value. No, when I talk about my accomplishments, I look at like you and what we've done. Yeah. What us and, and Tina and Hamilton and myself and you, like what we've achieved, where we've helped get, you know, get you from. Like I've seen firsthand you go from the only person in the room that knows who you are is me to you're walking around in public and, and thousands of people now, just total strangers will know who you are in an airport, right? Like I, and, and I, I'm not saying this like, oh, this is all because of me. Obviously, it's not because of me. I've played one small role in a larger collection of people that includes obviously you. You deserve the bulk of your own well, credit. No, 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 Nick like- as well, Tina as well. But the point is, is that I've seen you go through that process. And I do know that I've played a role in that. I can't claim total credit. I can't even claim majority credit. But I know that I've played a role in that. And I'm very proud of that. I've, I look at where I'm at professionally. And I'm proud at where I am. Like, like. You know, I, I've had job offers to do stuff that, you know, work within the data side of elections because people respect my takes on on that type of stuff. I've built a name for myself when it comes to data analytics and breaking down districts and stuff like that. Like, I'm very proud of where I'm at professionally. I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. I'm proud of my resume. Yeah. And I don't think I was proud at all of where I was when I was 21 because I hadn't achieved anything yet. So I'm actually 
really content. Maybe not content because I'm never content, but I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at right now in my life professionally. Yeah. But that doesn't distract me from the reality of where I'm at when it comes to like the potential dating market or where society is going. No. That's why people keep thinking this guy's so pessimistic. This guy's so you know filled with black pills. I'm a realist. I'm, I, everybody thinks I'm a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. What, I'm not, what, woe what, is what, me, what, my what, life sucks. I'm actually quite happy with where I'm at, but I look at reality, I look at society, and I'm very pessimistic, very realistic about where reality is, even though I'm actually happy with what I've achieved with myself. No, I, I, There's a difference there. Do you I, get I can, that difference? Yes, I can definitely appreciate that. And, and somebody even said, Daisy Dix in the comments said, is Nick saying settle for the garbage girl or boy because if you don't, society will be in a worse place? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is that if you allow, like, so for instance, let's just say you're a realist. This is your interpretation of reality. It's just really bad right now. What I'm saying is, is that you, you can have that assessment. You can be accurate in that assessment. The question is, is what do you do about the assessment, right? If the, if the assessment is, um, it, it all sucks. And so therefore I'm not going to try, or it's all sucks. And so therefore I've given up on this aspect of my life. That's what I'm saying is problematic. You don't, you, we don't save society by feeding in to, to the, the worst possible outcome of the assessment we have, even if it's obvious. Right. And, and, and we understand this, we understand this throughout all of history, because when we read history and we look at the times where it was the darkest, or it was, you know, society on the precipice, you know, Hannibal at Portis, right. When we look at those points, Yes, you can be a realist. You could be an absolute realist and say, we're doomed. Society is saved by the people that say, you might be right, but I'm going to fight anyway. That's, that's all I've pointed out like several times. And it's interesting. I was just doing an interview the other day where it's like, well, Nick, can we possibly win this? I'm like, stop asking the question. Stop asking the question and start making up in your mind that regardless of the outcome, I'm fighting. I'm fighting because those are the people that bring society back from the, the edge Right. And, 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 and sometimes they're not even the ones that get to see the result of it. Sometimes it's their children that have to achieve it, but they did their job at their moment in history. So their kids could, and I'm saying that is a noble fight regardless. That's it. I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm not trying to say that you, you your, your, your assessment could be accurate, but what do we do with it? Um, Nick wants to be a majorian. That's a that's a Roman history meme right there. Major, Majorian was the last uh, emperor of the West who actually tried to do something to save the collapsing Western they Empire and achieved quite a lot. He basically reconquered Hispania and parts of Gaul until he was assassinated. Edward Gibbon, who we very much disagree on a lot of takes, but he is right on one thing. He, he, he says of Majorian. Um, that, that he presents a welcome discovery of a great and heroic character, such as sometimes arise in a degenerate age to vindicate the honor of the human species. <laughs> it's All a right. great line. Sorry, it I didn't a, mean to distract it is us, a great line. It, it, it just, well, what look, Nick was saying there did remind me of that. It would not have been our podcast if Christian didn't share something <laughs> right. from Roman history. <laughs> okay, last comment, then super chats. The difference between you and I, Christian, I think is also environmental. I went to uh, a great high school. I went to Liberty University. I worked for a nonprofit organization that was a pro-life group. And the majority of people that are in the pro-life um, you know, movement are women. And so I've been just exposed to lots of women who will make wonderful wives one day. Haven't found the right one for myself, though. You just though. didn't take advantage yeah, of it. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Maybe not. But anyway, I'm naturally an optimist. You're a doomer. But... <laughs> 
No, we'll get there. It's all going to work out. Okay, time for the Super Chats. Uh, we've got a couple here. We're going to scoot right through these. First one is from Isaac. Toxic masculinity equals feminism. Toxic femininity also equals feminism. What do you think about that? So true. Lily's just giving you a high five on that one, Isaac. <laughs> All right, JWJC11, thank you for the super chat. Women need to submit to men in marriage because men would die for their wives and children, which leads to them protecting their communities and then country. I Look, um, again, I, we've talked about this before on, on what, is the, what is the biblical interpretation of uh, the requirement for women to submit to their husbands. And um, Lily, I think, articulated it in part here, and I'll, I'll try to do a fair job of it as well. I think it's important to understand that if you, so if you do believe in this concept, right. And uh, certainly it's a, it is a, it is a, um, a premise within the biblical view worldview of marriage. It's this idea that the, the man has a certain role to play and he also is responsible for certain things and leadership is a component of that responsibility. But again, when I emphasize that whole idea is like men loves your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and, and gave his life up, up for it. The, the important to understand is that this is a component of servant leadership. And, and I've seen people attack this from both sides. I've seen women who attack it who don't like the idea that the man should be the head. I've seen men who attack it from this idea that this is just some sort of what they call trad cuck, like idea that, oh, well, yeah, you're, you're, you get married and now your wife is the most important thing. And what about what you want to do? Look, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. I will tell you what my faith says about it. And I will tell you what my own experience has been. And, and what I've experienced is that I absolutely love my marriage. Um, I, I love my wife. I respect my wife. Uh, I love that she loves and respects me. Uh, it's been an incredibly fruitful marriage. And we've, if for anybody that thinks that, you know, there was, there was never any ups and downs. We like, we've been through war. We've been through 14 moves. We've been through, you know, a miscarriage. We've, we've been through, we've been through a lot of stuff that was not ideal. And both of us grew up in homes where our parents have been divorced. In my case, couple divorces, <laughs> So this, if you have any idea that like we were just, you know, fed this, this great thing, or here's the other one I love. You got lucky. Okay, dude, if you'd like to go ahead and blame your failures and your success on luck, you be my guest and let's see how successful you get. Um, all I'm telling you is that what I recognize is my responsibility because Tina encouraged this in me. Tina encouraged me to lead. She wanted me to. Um, the result is, is that she is my closest confidant. Um, she is the one that I go to for advice. She's the one that I go to for discernment, guidance, prayer, more than anybody else in my life. I got, I got some, I got some great friends, Christian Hamilton, um, Nate's here. We haven't introduced him yet, but we will eventually, <laughs> um, you know, some, some of my best friends in the world. And, um, Tina is still my, my closest confidant. Um, I also know that my leadership and, and, and her desire to respect or submit to that leadership is predicated on the idea that I better be fulfilling my responsibility in that leadership. Right? It's not this blind obedience that some people make it out to be. Now, that's not to say that every time she, well, I disagree, therefore, I think you're wrong, therefore, I don't got to you know, listen. Or, no, that's not what it is. Um, but understand, I also, I get tremendous joy um, from that, that manifestation of servant leadership where it's, I'm leading in a way that I know is best for my family. Um, and, and I, I'm telling you, if you're, you're the sort of guy that thinks that you're going to get the most purpose in life out of your career or out of something else, I'm not just, I'm not just saying that aspects of that can't be incredibly meaningful and, and fulfilling, but I, I will tell you right now, there, there is, there is no title. I've <laughs> look, I, I, I've, I've, I've had an opportunity to do some things that 
I, I think people might generally look at as um, having value, uh, you know, being a Green Beret, uh, being a state legislator. And, and, and I certainly uh, take some sense of accomplishment from, from working through and achieving those things. None of it, none of it, it all pales. It all pales in comparison to being a, a husband and a father. And I don't just mean having gotten married or having children. I mean truly embracing the duties and responsibilities associated with that title, husband, father. Right. If you look at it as nothing more than, well, I can be a husband the moment I sign a marriage certificate. I can be a father the moment I impregnate someone. Yeah, maybe in some technical term, but not in the deepest meaning of what it, what it actually means to be those things and fulfill those roles. And if you are truly willing to embrace what that means and fulfill that role, then I am telling you, I can't imagine there is no professional occupation that, that will even come close to what it means to having a sense of accomplishment that... I have fulfilled my role as a husband. I've fulfilled my role as a father well. And because ultimately you're not the one that gets to decide that you're not the one that gets to decide that. So anyways, that, all right. that's, that's all I'll say on that one. Uh, um, we've got a few more here. This one's from Zim, the despot discussions like this makes me think a lot of things. The sexual revolution might've been a big mistake. Might've, might've been a mistake in the long run. I disagree. It was also a mistake in the short run. <laughs> the, the, here's, here's what I'll say about the, the sexual revolution. This idea that we are going to essentially disassociate sex um, from anything other than something that felt good, so do it, um, was a mistake from the very beginning. It's always been a mistake where, wherever it's been applied. Um, and, and one of the things that if you want to look for one of the biggest differences between us and what you might see within the manosphere, within these other people that are calling out men to be, you know, powerful and capable, it would be the distinction between what we say about men and sex and what Justin Waller, or Andrew Tate, or, you know, some of these other guys, they will say that, well, no, women should just accept that men are designed biologically to have multiple sexual partners. I'm sorry. I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Um, in fact, there was this one really interesting exchange between Lila Rose and Justin Waller. And Justin Waller is, is a very intelligent person, very successful person, um, says a lot of things that I agree with and says other things that I disagree with. One of the most disappointing exchanges I think I've ever seen Justin Waller engage in was that one with Lila Rose because Lila Rose said, wait a second, you're telling all of these women here that you know it's going to be hard for them to be able to find a high quality man if they're sitting there racking up this enormous body count but then you're giving yourself an excuse shouldn't you also apply the same discipline that you've applied to other areas of your lives into this one and instead of recognizing that there was a logical contradiction in what he was saying right he he immediately he didn't just disagree with her he kind of attacked her well i think you're being annoying well that's a pretty petty thing to say <laughs> because what lila was doing was simply pointing out the standard that you've held. If you're telling these women, don't rack up a huge body count, but you're the dude they're racking up the body count with, there's an obvious contradiction in that statement. And so, yes, the sexual revolution was bad for both. You, you could make the argument that it was especially bad for women in the sense that the, the consequences women pay for sex, both emotionally and potentially and physically, obviously, biologically, or you could argue higher, but that doesn't make it any more wrong when a man engages in promiscuous behavior. Mm -hmm. It's still morally incorrect. It's still morally wrong. And I would say to men, it's also robbing you of a very, very deep and intimate relationship that you can have with your wife if you're choosing to engage in that. 
Now I'm, I'm someone that believes in, I'm someone that believes in repentance and redemption and everything else, like all of it. I believe that people that have lived one lifestyle can choose to make a change, turn away from that previous lifestyle, engage in, and have an incredibly fulfilling and productive marriage. Absolutely. No question. Like, I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying that if you made certain decisions at one point of your life, that's it. You're screwed. Like, like uh, no pun intended, but I'm like, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Okay. But I, but I am saying that men need to recognize and, and men that have experienced this need to lift this up and hold it up as no, there is a better way. We're not just doing this because God told us to, although that would be sufficient. <laughs> We're not just doing it because it's morally correct based off of our faith. We're also doing it because there are benefits which far outweigh right, the, the, the benefits associated with just a, a bunch of meaningless trysts. So yes, the sexual revolution was absolutely, if, we're mean, if what we mean by the sexual revolution is that men and women can now, that, that we've essentially removed any sort of these moral barriers or these moral boundaries that used to exist around sex, then yeah, sexual revolution was a problem. I will say this though. I think one of the reasons why the sexual revolution was possible was because if you see this in the early 20th century around the uh, prohibition movement, women were calling men to get sober because they were doing a really bad job as husbands and fathers. And there was a certain subset of men that said, what if we just allowed you to be every bit as reprobate, you know, retrobate as we are or, or, or deficient in our, in our responsibilities as we are. And, and I, I've sometimes said before that I think the, the, the modern manifestations of feminism look they, like they were written by licentious men. Well, I feel like it's incredibly disrespectful, just the whole idea of sex before marriage and like getting the highest body count possible and stuff like that, because you're not thinking about how devaluing that is for your partner who... Like I save myself for marriage and I feel like it's incredibly insulting when people assume I haven't just because of my age and the world we live in today. I mean, find that incredibly insulting. But then also like there's, there's a toll you pay if you saved yourself for marriage but your significant other didn't. Like that's something you end up struggling with and have to deal with. And so I feel like just flippantly just giving yourself to whoever comes along is very disrespectful to that pain and that struggle you have to endure to think like, I'm not the only person he did this with, or like, I'm going to be compared to this other woman and stuff like that. Cause there's, there's an actual struggle that can go on there. And so I feel like people just devalue themselves. And somebody, somebody said, <laughs> David Larson said, marry a gal whose body count is in deer and elk. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. All right, we got a couple more here. Quick, quicker answers. Sorry, I went. Uh, Isaac said, everyone hates masculine men until BLM starts acting in the interest of Hamas and becomes more of an insurgency. Yeah, we, we've we pointed this out before. It's Again, it's uh, you know, we don't like these toxic male men and, until all of a sudden there's a lot of danger around. And, until and, the left starts saying that we will decolonize you. Yeah, yeah. Then, <laughs> then all of a sudden everybody wants a, a, a strong man around. Professor Keene, I wish that the new wave of trad core women became more prominent. It will help heal the situation with women. I, I think it became more prominent than people realize. I, I think it's, I, I think there is a pendulum swing in the, and you see this with like, uh, oh, what's her name? Jedi Abila. You see it with some of the other talk about trad wives. And, and again, it's not just, um, there's some people that have popularized trad wife from a very, very, what you might call a traditional homemaker. You see some of that uh, demonstrated within the homesteading community and whatnot, but there's other people that are off uh, bringing back, you know, traditional components of femininity and, and what it means to be a traditional woman that isn't necessarily rooted um, as deeply in the homemaker or homesteading yeah. community. 
it's just the idea that a lot of those, what we might call traditional traits associated with it is not as what this one website called, you know, toxic femininity, but, but actually a, a very positive choice that women are making because they, they want to, they want to be in a certain sort of relationship and they want to embrace certain roles. And, and they appreciate that. And they appreciate also the sort of man that is attracted to those roles. And they're, they're attracted to the sort of man that, that wants to fulfill the roles they find attractive. And I think it is gaining in prominence because honestly, not because society in general, and this is the part where, again, to your point, Christian, I don't think it's that pop culture is all of a sudden embracing this. I think that it's become almost a form of rebellion against pop culture to say, I'm not buying your crap because I see how it manifests itself in reality. This is why you see so many young men gravitate towards Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate. And the reason why is not, as the left says, oh, you know, it's because, you know, they're falling into some rabbit hole for right-wing extremism. No, the reason why is because you, you, you can disagree all you want with Tate. There's a lot that I disagree with him on. I don't like his, I, I said this um, in our episode where we compared the two. I don't like his business background. Right. Like there's there, there, there's plenty to not like about him, but he says things that are taboo that are also true. And that the fact that it's true and it's obvious that it's true and that it's taboo to embrace it or even say that it's true. Oh, you better believe that young men gravitate towards that. It's 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 like if you have a kid and you tell them, don't do this, what are they going to do? They're going to immediately do that, right? Like, like that th th there's, there's almost like a perverse incentive structure, you know, reverse psychology, whatever you want to call it, where when you tell somebody to not do something, especially if they're a kid, they're going to want to test the boundary. Now, imagine when you tell somebody not to do something and it's patently obvious to everybody in the room that it's also true and correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, and yet you have to deny that it's true and correct in order to maintain social status within the group. Like, like. I'm sorry, repeating the incantation that trans women are women does not change the fact that no, they are not women, right? You might yeah. be under immense social pressure to say that they're women, but they're not. Yeah. And everybody with a brain knows that they're not. Biology shows that they're not. And yet, you're, again, repeat the incantations. You're supposed to say it, even though it's, it's patently false. Yeah. And so there's a bit of a rebellious streak there where not only are you pushing, you know, it's like conservatism is the new counterculture, right? Like yeah. because the left, <laughs> because through the cathedral and the Leviathan, these topics that we've talked about before control the, the left-wing dominance within our cultural institutions is so pervasive across every field that you can possibly imagine, even things that have nothing in common with each other. Remember like why on earth does it seem like the editorial staff of the New York times, the board at Disney and the faculty at Berkeley all believe the same things because that is the case. And because they all say you must repeat things that are patently absurd. No, children cannot give consent to chop their own genitals off. Children can't even give consent to get a tattoo or a loan, mm -hmm. let alone mutilate themselves. And yet you're supposed to repeat that. And when it's so obvious that it's false and self-destructive, young men and some young women too, but especially young men, they're going to rebel against it. And this is why you see so many young men that are gravitating towards Peterson and gravitating towards Tate. And that does give me some hope, but 
the problem is is that it's not you can it's not enough to just simply rebel against what the left is saying because if you're rebelling against simply what the left is saying yeah you might see a, a restoration of american constitutional federalism or you might see fascism right you, you again this gets into the whole right wing backlash that we've talked about before and so i do think that you know the the pushback that you're seeing um you know, with the emergence of, of trad culture, like, you know, trad women or the emergence of, of, you know, young boys that listen to Peterson or Tate. I do think that there's some positive aspects of it, but as we've talked about in the, um, episode on, um, some of the mental problems that you see the, the, you know, mental illness pandemic that you're seeing on the left, that article that, that we read off at the very end with, you know, how the Great Awakening hurt conservatives until suddenly conservatives stopped caring about the left, gossiping, shaming, and rallying against them. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's great that conservatives are, are brushing off wokeism, but what replaces that is yet to be determined. Yeah. Well, and that's what can make people like Andrew Tate actually kind of dangerous to our case because he's mixing wrong with right and truth with false. And whenever you have a situation like that where someone it can just throw people off because it's like, okay, well, you're saying this is true, but then he said this and that's a lie. Oh, but this is right. But then wait, this is wrong. And so it just becomes confusing. And that's why, like, even though I agree, I agree with some of the things Andrew Tate says. I still don't, I still wish he wasn't (laughs) doing what he was doing because it can be very confusing to people who don't already have an innate understanding of all this. Well, I'll tell you what, we had one question in the audience. Uh, Beto said, I didn't read, I did not realize Peterson was like Tate. Can you please elaborate? Let me elaborate real quick. We're not saying Peterson is like Tate. In fact, we did a whole episode on this uh, called the battle for the male mind. And what we actually talked about was that, um, you know, Tate kind of provides kind of this warrior successful image. Uh, Peterson really provides kind of like this, this scholarly, like almost mentor image. But we, we argued that there was something kind of missing from, from both. Um, and, and what a lot of young men are looking for is this idea of there's the, mer- the, the convergence of the warrior aspect, the professional aspect, the successful aspect, but also the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual, like all of that is necessary. Um, John Lovell and I talked a little bit about this too. And we were talking about his book, uh, The Warrior Poet. Um, and, and so that is something to check out if you're interested in that. We're all out of time today, but I want to thank everybody. I want to thank my lovely daughter, Lily, for being here and providing her insight on the female mind. Um, <laughs> Lily, you were awesome. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you so much. Yes, I had fun. I, I would Don't be patronizing. She's a strong, independent woman. <laughs> I know. How dare you? This is my podcast. Yeah. Lily, you should, I am the female Nick Freitas. <laughs> Lily, you, you should show this um, this episode to your fiance. I'd love to get. I've only met him a couple times, but he seems like a really awesome dude. I'd love to see what his oh, yeah. his take yeah. is. On you guys this. would get along. No, he, I didn't even tell him I was going to be on this podcast, so he's probably going to just see it on his feet. I mean, wait, yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. What, yeah. What, what's What's funny is when you know Nick uh, Nick came to me and, and Lily's mother came to Tina, came to queen of the bees and, and, uh, asked for permission to ask for Lily's hand. And, uh, it was funny cause I, I teased him. I said, Oh, well, you're going to take her name, right? Obvious, <laughs> obvious joke. And Lily, Lily later on was like, dad, the last thing the world needs is another Nick Freitas. Yes. <laughs> we don't need Nick Freitas 2.0. <laughs> well, anyways, thank you very much for joining us. We know it was kind of a long episode, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to kind of go over the topic as much in depth as possible. Hope you got something out of it with respect to some of the definitions, some of the discussion on this, because it is something that is going to be around for a while. And what we want is for people, we want for people that share a worldview to be able to talk about it in a way that, um, 
<clears throat> is meaningful to the discussion, right? There, there's so many loose definitions that get thrown around with this that are not at all helpful that uh, I think have caused a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Uh, one of the things that, that Christian and I have pointed out a lot, and we think this is important, that is a lot of people that do throw around these terms in such a loose fashion. It's not good enough to just point out the intellectual inconsistency because quite frankly, they're not trying to make an intellectually consistent argument. They're trying to tear down something that is already there and replace it with what they want. And so much of this has been about the accumulation of power rather than achieving greater understanding. And we never want to be a reflection of that. We want to be able to look at various perspectives. We want to be able to look at something that we might not agree with and try to understand, okay, is there any aspect of this that is true? Is there any aspect that that can actually be helpful? But then how do we properly look at it and properly analyze it in order to get the good stuff out of it and leave the bad stuff out? So hopefully we've been able to do that today, sharing a couple different perspectives. I know that Ham, oh yeah, we got to mention this right here. G, G comes in and says, chowing down on some good ranches and listening to Nick makes for a solid Tuesday afternoon. Thank you very much because again, when you buy good ranchers using promo code Nick, right? You're not just going to get a quality product. You're not just going to prove to that potential wife or the wife that you already have that you can provide the meat. But, right? but Okay, hold on though. I mean, wives could buy this as a present for their husband. They could. They could. That's a possibility. It, absolutely. They could do the same. They could do the, this. Is, this is a mutual beneficial. And no matter who you are, if you want to prove that you're strong, independent, and <laughs> deliver the meat. <laughs> right? Good ranchers like to do that. Use promo code NECK. The other thing that does when you do that is it tells good ranchers, hey, you advertising with making the argument with with Nick and Queen of the Bees and Christian and Hamilton and our guests. When you advertise with them, it's a good bet for good ranchers. So mutually beneficial all around. Please go ahead and check out uh, promo code Nick for Good Ranchers. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the questions, the comments. We really appreciate it. Continue, uh, consider joining our community chat as well because the influence for this uh, podcast actually came from our community chat. We like to engage with our audience and make sure that we're talking about the things that interest them. Link Once in the description. Again, link in the description. <laughs> Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next episode.